It's the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood, the only Baltimore podcast that couldn't get its instant analysis together on Sunday night. We have to start with an apology. No instant analysis Sunday night. Some logistical challenges. I was in another state. Eric was – did you hit any home runs at least in your softball game that you had? So you, I didn't hit any home runs, but we, we run-ruled this team twice. We got back on the winning winning uh, – winning page and incident analysis of that stat stat yeah, we should have had an incident analysis about that about the game we could have i mean it was it was a, it was a good night um i think we won i think we won 17 to two the second game first game mm. is a little bit more of a challenge but mm. the hoko brew hive they just they didn't have any answer for tater time the hoko brew hive just not good enough so no, we, couldn't, and- we couldn't get together i mean i guess i should have asked southwest if i could have figured out a way for them to put the the Ravens game on the CBS uh, regional coverage on the flight back and not the uh, the Packers Steelers game, which was terrible. So, but we live and learn. So, we'll, we'll, let's go into the analysis right now. Banks, you actually watched the game live and you've watched it again. So, I'll start with you. Ravens, you know, able to get past uh, Denver in a game that you know I, I was not watching live as uh, I was in Wisconsin, but felt like that the Ravens are pretty much in control from the second quarter on after kind of a shaky first quarter. But what are your kind of impressions coming out of uh, a game that I think, you know, the Ravens proved that maybe Denver is not as three and O as uh, a lot of people thought they were. That was a pretty good synopsis to start it off. It was a shaky first quarter. They came out kind of tentative. I think the Broncos came out and they were uh, maybe as, as like, one way in their game plan about how to stop the offense as any team has been. They stopped, they absolutely stacked the box, um, forced us to kind of drop back and try to throw a little bit. And I think we were just trying to force feed the, the ball to, to Murray and, and Bell a little bit. And, and we were kind of stubborn about it. And then the Broncos went down the field. We tackled horribly on the drive to end the first quarter and they punched it in um, on the second play of the second quarter. And then we just answered with a just, probably our best drive of the year statement drive through and through um we kind of pushed it towards midfield and lamar kind of took it upon himself to just leave the pocket and uh run around the edge and get a first down there and then he dropped an absolute diamond to mark andrews uh found mark andrews again on the sideline latavius murray ran it in from 11 and we were just off to the races from there in complete control um and it's really when the defense i think it was kind of a wake-up call the way I mean, the one run with uh, Javante Williams, uh, I mean, he, this is the thing with peanut or uh, with uh, not peanut, the peanut punches, whatever you want to call them for Marlon Humphrey. Fruit punches. Yeah, the fruit punches. You, you know that here and there he's going to miss and he's going to pay the price for it. He went for an immediate punch when he got to the second level Um and pretty much carried Marlin for, for a good 20 yards, pretty much into the red zone, and they scored because of it. Um, you take the good with the bad with that type of thing. Um, I think maybe some of his, his teammates there, as I'm watching Justin Turner hit a deep drive to left field, um, he uh, the rest of the defensive players might have kind of thought that the play was over because Marlin usually doesn't allow that to happen. The one thing that's great about the way he punches balls out is he tends to do it while making the tackle cleanly. And that wasn't an example of that. And so the players kind of gave up on the play and then realized, Oh shit, like he's still going. And then that's why he was able to kind of carry those guys for another handful of yards. Regardless, the defense answered in a phenomenal way the rest of the way. Um, 
the early bright spot was away again. He made a massive sack on the third and 10 near midfield early in the game. And he was constantly in the backfield. Justin Houston got in there with a sack. Uh, Tyus Bowser got a couple sacks there and he was in the backfield a ton too, flying to the football. And I think a lot of people are overlooking how well Calais Campbell's been playing this year. The guy's been unbelievable. I mean, I watched him on a third down there late, uh, late in the fourth quarter, run down a screenplay on a third down all the way out to the perimeter. It was unbelievable. The guy's six, what, six, eight, six, nine or whatever he is. And he's, he's running from, from sideline to sideline, which is not necessarily his MO, but um, anyways, the defense as a whole just came through in a huge way. And I thought them getting the pick there late was kind of a icing on the cake for them because they haven't really gotten a lot of takeaways yet this season. They're right around the corner. There was a couple of missed opportunities there that we had a, a missed opportunity last week in Detroit there where Tyus Bowser dropped, dropped an opportunity. I think a lot of takeaways are, are just around the bend for this team, whether it be strip sacks, interceptions, whatever it might be. And, um, uh, I think that that is just kind of the tip of the iceberg there for Averett. Yeah, I think the one, the one big takeaway for me on kind of like a big picture level is, as you said, it was clear that the Broncos made the decision early. We are going to try to stop the Ravens run attack and make Lamar Jackson throw the ball to beat us, right? Make them beat us on the outside and we'll take our chances that we're going to sit up and stop the run. And the Ravens found another way to win. You know, you know, statistically, Lamar, who everyone says, you know, can't throw for over 300 yards, you know, throws for 316, has a solid day. You know, Hollywood Brown makes the great diving catch. It has to be said that's a tremendous rebound after the previous week where he couldn't catch a football. You know, that's a really good sign, I think, if you're John Harbaugh and to cost everybody in the organization. We're like, okay, we can pivot. And we'll see what happens when they get up against, you know, the class of the AFC, you know, the class of, of the NFL, if they can still do that. But, you know, you had guys step up. I think the James Crochet five catch 74, we were, we were trying to figure out where all of this training camp form had gone and was he going to be involved. That's a nice day for him. And if he can emerge as another option next to Hollywood with Bateman coming back and you kind of start to see Mark Andrews, you know, kind of get a little bit more involved. Now you have a, a passing attack that can maybe do some things for you um, if, the, if, the, if the running game is a little um, stilted. But uh, speaking of the running game, Latavius Murray is clearly the guy, 18 carries, 59 yards. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to talk about with, with regards to the passing game itself, though. Um, and I'm glad Anything that you, else you with the running touched game on that. Week? The running game, what about it? They didn't start Tyson Williams. We could talk about that in a minute, but um, – or they didn't even dress him, rather. Uh, when it came to Lamar Jackson, I thought throwing the ball, he really didn't play that great of a game. But the the way that the Broncos tried to defend the run, there was so much separation that our guys were getting when they were getting one-on-ones and all those types of things where he didn't need to throw perfect balls. Guys were just getting that wide open. There's a bunch of missed throws that he had that he had one early where he underthrew, you know, Marquise like a good 20 yards downfield uh there was a deep ball to Duvernay that could have gone for six that he overthrew um he should have gotten a touchdown throw to Mark Andrews that got called back because of a face mask had nothing to do with the play really um and then there's just a handful of other throws that potentially could have been made that just they just weren't there but regardless you look at at the statistics you've got five guys who caught 
three plus passes. And they're the guys that you want to see catching those passes. You got Hollywood call four, Prochet call five, Mark Andrews call five, Sammy Watkins call four, Duvernay call three. And it felt like a lot of those catches were big third down plays to move the sticks to either extend drives in the second half when we had the lead or there were big uh, big third down conversions when the game was still there in that second quarter where we were looking to make something happen and kind of change the tide of the game. So uh, all in all, I think that the receivers played their best game of the season by a mile. They may have played their best game um, of the entire Lamar Jackson era. I think that they've really turned the corner there. And you got to give a lot of credit to Duvernay. He got involved and his punt return there to set up the field goal before half was a big one. I think it provided a lot of breathing room for them uh, at halftime and coming out of half for the second half. Yeah, I, I'm impressed by, you know, Duvernay is the, the leading punt return in the NFL right now. Um, I, I think that he getting him in, in spots where he can, he can get into space and do some things is going to be, you know, advantageous. I, I like what you said there about Lamar. What's great about it is, you know, the, even if the throws aren't perfect in a situation like that, he's got to just show he can get it close. And clearly that is what happened. Like he, he's the reason he why those guys are open because they're yeah. forced to try to defend. Correct. Him. Correct. So that is, say he's really, not throwing good balls and yep. still say he's the reason why this offense was effective. It's 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 you were you summed up exactly what I was trying to say there for like thirty seconds. Like he is the reason that his passing game doesn't have to be as sharp because there's not as many people around because they're all worried about him with his legs. That's a that's a and that's what Lamar Jackson brings to the table. That like. If you're looking at it, you're like, oh, he's just not an elite thrower. It's not an elite thrower. Well, he cannot have to be an elite thrower because he's taking so much attention away from the passing game because the Broncos were like, we're just not losing this guy here. And then he beat you in the other way. Have so. you have you seen the all 22 view of the Mark Andrews touchdown that got called back? No. They roll the entire offensive line out to the right. Lamar Jackson sprints out right. Looks like a, des- a design run of sorts. And then Mark Andrews just really just kind of chips a guy and then just floats out, uh, you know, on a vertical and he's wide open. The whole defense, all 11 guys are watching number eight. And that's just kind of the, the, the type of stuff he brings to the table. It's, it was an easy touchdown and I'm sure that we'll see that type of play again. In the context of, of, of sort of the Ravens next few games, I think this was an interesting one. You know, we, we, we talked about the last few weeks, you know, could they sort of start to stack some victories after what was a disappointing loss to the Raiders? You know, the, the, the insane game against the Chiefs put that away. They've now done that with two straight. You have this Colts team coming in Monday that it, 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 to me is similar to the Broncos from a quarterback perspective. Carson Wentz, in a similar way to Teddy Bridgewater, is not a guy you go into the game, at least not now. Carson Wentz, maybe like four or five years ago is not a guy that scares you on the other side. The weapons they have are not guys that scare you. Jonathan Taylor is more talented at running back than anybody that Denver has. They've got some younger guys, Pascal, all these guys on the outside, Pittman, that are solid. But it feels like a similar game where the Ravens just have a little too much for the one and three Colts who have not shown a ton this year and just don't have dynamic enough weapons They've also had a very tough schedule. They've gone Seahawks, Rams, Titans, and then they beat a Dolphins team that is kind of falling apart right now. Um, but it's a Monday game that feels tailor-made for Ravens with, you know, with a packed 
house and MT Bank Stadium kind of start to run away with a team in your division, Eric, the Colts. I mean, you, you nailed it. Like, they don't scare you at all. I know the Titans played Wentz when he had his two sprained ankles. I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't think he's very good. Um, again, their weapons are decent. I, like you said, Jonathan Taylor, it's not like he gets 20, 25 carries a game. I mean, he's like low teens. That's kind of about it. But most they really like Naheem Hines. I mean, they yeah. like to give Naheem Hines the ball. I was going to say Naheem Hines is more of a – I mean, he's the receiver out of the backfield. Against the Titans, I mean, he's good for a touchdown a game on the ground against them. And, and I mean, he's going to be a matchup – not a matchup nightmare, but he'll be a guy to watch, you know, matched up with a linebacker. And he'll catch passes out of the out of the backfield. And he's damn good when he has the ball in his hands. Um, they, they like to go to him in the red zone a lot. Like, I, I can see the play that he scores on the Titans on again. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's on the left side of the shotgun. He goes out he goes out in the flat on the left side. They dump it off to him. He cuts it up the sideline for a touchdown every time. Um, like you said, I mean, Michael Pittman, he's a good receiver. He's a big physical guy. I, I think he's a good weapon. I don't think he really scares anyone. Like, I don't think Marlon Humphrey is, is staying up tonight trying to figure out a way to stop Michael Pittman. Again, Zach, Zach Paschal, you're not you're not game planning on how to stop him. Jack Doyle doesn't really do anything. Mo Ali Cox is kind of a matchup nightmare just from his size and, and his, how he plays the game. But again, I mean, they're Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah, like Jimmy Smith will be on him and, and, and it'll be fine. Um, Carson Wentz, if you get him flustered, he's going to do the thing where he spins around and he tries to duck under sacks and he's going to get just demolished by people. Um, I mean, again, he's a very easy quarterback to fluster. And like, I know we heard uh, Joey Bosa's comments on, on uh, Carr this week, kind of saying the same thing. Carson Wentz is, is that same quarterback. If you hit him, if you get guys in his face, he's going to be flustered. He's going to, he'll throw, he'll throw a ball with his left hand. Like as he's going down, like, like we saw Mahomes do in that, that Monday night game, or the Sunday night game, he'll, he'll throw in a triple coverage. He'll throw in a double coverage. He doesn't give a shit. But I, I, I think this will be a game where, where the Ravens defense could absolutely get after him and get him flustered, and God knows what he'll do then. But I, I, Carson Wentz does not scare me. The, the Colts don't really scare me. Defensively, they're, they're not bad at all. It's kind of been their game. I don't – Quinton Nelson, they, they put him on IR, I believe, last week, two weeks ago. He's their best player. And, yeah. You know, him and Darius yeah, Leonard. Their and, offensive and, line is kind of in shambles yeah, without and, him. And I think there's a couple other guys that are shaking up or not out there. So, yeah. Um, I, and that's the entire matchup. Yeah. The entire recipe there for, for Carson Wentz is having that offensive line or having any offensive line. And we saw what happened with him in Philadelphia when he didn't have one. So, um, I think this is one where, you know, Wing Martindale has been trying to work out what the right recipe is for this team in terms of how much can they blitz like they did last year without Marcus Peters and how, well, you know, what's the right blend there? Because they obviously completely swerved on that against Mahomes, And then they've had these last couple of games where they've kind of, you know, had to change on the fly with a different quarterback change uh, in the, in the Broncos game there. And um, yeah, so I'm interested to see what kind of, you know, blitzes they send and try to confuse them and how much they just let Justin Houston and, and Owe just get after him because those guys have been doing a great job on their own, which is something we haven't necessarily been able to say for a couple of years. Yeah. What the Ravens tried to trade for Yannick Ngakwe to do last year, as it was frustrating to watch him do a much better job for the Raiders on Monday night, getting to the quarterback late in the game than he ever did with the Ravens last year. Um, I, yeah. I think, I think this, 
this game to me comes down to the fact that, you know, Wentz is a guy that just seemingly is going to make two to three mistakes a game. And if you capitalize on his mistake, like they're just going to happen. Like he is, you can count on him throwing up. And if the Ravens can just capitalize on making the strip sack instead of a sack or coming up with the pick, I just don't see how the, the Colts are able to, are able to stop the Ravens enough if they turn the ball over. I just think they're going to turn the ball over. Like I think Wentz is going to turn the ball over two times in this game and the Ravens are going to, you know, be pretty comfortable in the third and fourth quarter especially at home, especially in prime time where the Ravens play so well at home Yeah, um, with that crowd there. It just, it just doesn't feel like a game. The Colts. this is going to come back to haunt me now. This doesn't feel like a game. The Colts have a lot of ways to win. They, they don't have the firepower to keep up with the Ravens either. Like I, I don't think it's even close to, to keep up with them. Yeah. I, I, and, I, and their defense isn't good enough to contain I think what the Ravens are going to, I think the Colts are still a name that, that brings out a little bit extra from the Ravens fans as well. And I think the players will feel that despite maybe not knowing a ton of the history. I think you're going to have the buzz in the building. Like when that, you know, the, the, the guys are going to hear it during the week and who knows if they use it internally as motivation. I'm sure that they probably don't. Cause I, you know, I, you know they're about more than, you know, a rivalry that now affects not as that affects less and less of now the Ravens fan base every year, but, um, you know, it, it's it's definitely it, it's so funny when these it feels like this is the least amount of heat there's been for the Colts visiting Baltimore since this has happened, right? I, I, it doesn't feel like this is like a lot of the talk of the town. It's like, oh my god, it's the Colts. It's just another feels like just another game. It does, reason. yeah. But you, you know who's gonna, go gonna say, you know who's gonna pound it into the ground? It's gonna be the broadcast. They're yes. like they're they're yes. going to have every graphic and they're gonna they're gonna show the clip of the May you know the Mayflower and, and they're they're gonna show all that stuff and they're gonna absolutely hammer it. Especially have, they're gonna do a weird graphics Monday Night Football, yeah. so they've got the weird graphics to play. Oh, and God. half the people watching are gonna be like, What the fuck are they talking about? Oh, that's right. Like I remember grandpa talking about this. Or something, you know, they're gonna say ESPN something. Like that. also obviously has like the 30 for 30 they did about the band. So they they've they've got everything. I I'm, they'll probably plug that and show it like right after the game or something like they that. They probably should. They should lead right into it on ESPN Plus. It's probably not a bad idea. So they're all on ESPN Plus. I guess they're on demand. Um, but yeah, this this is I think that I think that the Ravens um kind of kind of take this easy. That the, they came out very well from an injury perspective. Um on Sunday. So that was nice. Yeah. They, uh, you have any lady on bell thoughts? Thanks. Yeah, actually that's weird that you say that I was just going to kind of wrap up the notes I took here on my phone as I watched the, uh, the condensed replay here tonight. Um, that was kind of the last one I didn't touch on in any way, shape or form. I thought Le'Veon looked a lot better than his stat line said he ran. Um, he didn't have a lot to work with on the balls that he was given, but he generally fell forward or he took what he could get. Um, and then there was a play there late in the game where he should have gotten stuffed for like a loss of four and he spun off a tackle and broke another one and fell forward and gained a yard, but also drew a face mask from a guy behind him. Cause he basically was slipping right by him and it picked up 15 yards, extended the drive and uh, kind of chewed up a bunch of time off the clock. So, uh, and then he threw an awesome block on a play that almost got flagged. Like they threw a flag and called it blocking back towards his own end zone when he was doing the complete opposite. Like, I guess you could, 
it had the look of a crackback block because the play was kind of going around the edge and he kind of came from a weird angle, but he threw a great block and allowed Duvernay to get into um, field goal range on like a third and 26. So uh, what I saw from him, he looks physical. Um, he did look patient at times. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see more so than I was going into the, the game there. I'm kind of excited to see what he's got, got in store for us for the rest of the season. So who, who's going to be the odd man out in that running back group? Is it, is it going to be Devontae Freeman or is it now Tyson Williams? I really don't know. I mean, the Tyson Williams Tyson thing is guy, really weird. It's a very strange, sudden drop off that they had there with him. And I mean, I love the way Murray's run the ball too. He's running with, with attitude. So I, I, he, he I've, runs always, I've always been a huge Latavius Murray guy. He's always a guy I've had on my fantasy team if Alvin Kamara got hurt. And then before that, I was always just having when he was backing guys up. I think he's going to kind of be the guy moving forward. And maybe they'll rotate based on matchup where they feel like someone like Le'Veon makes sense as opposed to – but the Tyson Williams thing has been just a precipitous, precipitous drop. And I don't know how you could read into anything but that they feel like these three other guys are better than him. I mean, it's, it's to, go from, to go from – like being the guy week one was like, oh my God, what a great story scores the touchdown to get to being a healthy scratch. Like if he was going to be a guy, I don't know why he's getting healthy scratched three weeks after that. So there's gotta be something there. I, we just don't know what it is. Um, maybe they just wanted to see Le'Veon, but then why wouldn't you healthy scratch Devonte Freeman? Maybe I'm not exactly sure. There's uh, like a, when you sign a guy, you put him on the practice squad. There's like a two-week call-up period or something where you have some flexibility. And this is the second of two weeks for Le'Veon Bell. So technically, they put him back on the practice squad this week. And I expect that they'll call him back up to put him back out there on Monday. But um, those are rules that I can't say I know everything about. But I think that's the gist of it. And I, I think it's like you can only do that like two or three times until you have to elevate them to the, I think, right. to the 53-man for permanently. That, yeah, I think that's yeah. that's the it's, gist it's, of it. Yeah. I think it's like th- I want to say two. I want to say three weeks actually, three or three. Yeah, you have to activate them permanently. But yeah, yeah like I'm looking at like Devontae Freeman had one carry for four yards. Like, is it even like I, I'm I'm more can, like why was it Freeman and not like was because Fre- Freeman wasn't one of those guys in the practice squad that they had to elevate before the game, was he? And I can't say during this game I was going special teams play to special teams play. I'm assuming Devontae Freeman is not playing special teams. No, but I'm, I'm not. Tyson probably doesn't either, does he? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I that was, was part of the, the whole thing with Justice Hill. Justice Hill was out. Justice Hill was like playing special teams, like the gunner. Yeah. yeah, he was. He was fucking up a lot. So it's like, are they not? Yeah, are they not using that running? And, and I'm sure there's maybe they just don't have the depth for it. There's a podcast listener that is like, "What are these guys talking about? Why are they not watching the?" Uh... But I just, I was not. I was not watching or play this game. So I, I can't say I know like what they are, if they're rotating any of those backs in, they definitely were rotating Le'Veon or Latavius Murray into the special teams. So it's like Devontae Freeman playing special teams. And maybe Tyson Williams wasn't. It's very interesting. It'll be interesting to see what they do Monday. If he's a healthy scratch for the second consecutive game, I mean, he may become totally irrelevant at this point. I may have to drop him from my fantasy team. It's that's very, my, that's my biggest concern. It's very, very interesting. Um, predictions for this game, guys. Ravens, Colts, Baltimore versus old Baltimore, baby. I predict that we're going to run for 100 plus yards. Oh, I, I was going to do predictions and I was going to get to that. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> okay. Uh, 31. That was technically, yeah, go ahead. 31 
17. 30 to 13. I was going to say 35, 13. 35, 13. This, I, I'm excited this, to, to, to see the Ravens beat the hell out of the Colts. I think that's, I think that's where we're headed here. All right, let, let's talk Vic Fangio. The, really the biggest story coming out of this game was the Ravens, you know, getting the ball back, not having 100 yards, running the play, getting to 100 yards to tie the record for most consecutive games with 100 yards rushing, you know, I'm sure many teams would have taken exception to that, whatever, whatever. John Harbaugh comes out and explains it, and I thought a very solid way. You know, he says, you know, this was important. I know it's important to the guys on our sideline and our organization. This was important to us, so we went and did what we did. Vic Fangio, Vic Fangio then comes out, not after the game, he comes out in there, Whatever media they did, whether it was Monday or Tuesday, um, all these days are, 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 are coming together for me now. It was Monday morning. Monday morning. So his, his it available, was very quick the next morning. Availability after the game. Is for for the next mountain time, it had to have been like 8.30 a.m. their time. So they must do his media very early. Um, Probably so just stewing all night over it. I, yeah. thought it was, I thought it was kind of bullshit. I expected it from them. 37 years of pro ball. I've never seen anything like that, but it was to be expected and we expected it. Asked why the Broncos quote unquote expected it. Fangio said, because I just know how they operate. That's just their mode of operations. There, player safety is secondary. Harbaugh said at, this is what Harbaugh said after the game specifically. It's one of those things that's meaningful. It's a very, very tough record to accomplish. It's a long-term record. So I'm not going to say it's more important than winning the game for sure. It's certainly not. But as a head coach, I think you do that for your players and for your coaches, and that's something they'll have to they'll have for the rest of their lives. Okay. After what Fangio said, Harbaugh was available to the media same day and said, I thought we were on good terms. We had a nice chat before the game. We've known each other for a long time. I promise you I'm not going to give that insult one second of thought. Then he said, you're throwing – referring to the Broncos, you're throwing the ball in the end zone with 10 seconds left. I don't know if there's a 16-point touchdown that's going to be possible right there. Great line. <laughs> so that so that didn't have anything to do with them winning the game. What's meaningful for us might not be meaningful for them. We're not going to concern ourselves with that. That is fiery from both of those guys. And a weird situation because Vic Fangio and the Harbaugh family have a bit of a relationship here. Fangio, coach for the Ravens, from 2006 to 2008, obviously not all this. Coach of the Ravens 2009, then went to Stanford in 2010, and then was with the 49ers from 11 to 14. So clearly, and I'm not trying to like extrapolate and speculate, there is some issue there because, or there's an issue on Fangio's side, or Fangio feels the need to go after Harbaugh to defend his players or defend his organization. You know, I don't think, and we're, we're looking at this with purple color glasses, I don't think there's anything wrong with going out and they weren't running up the score. They just wanted to keep that record going. If that's something that's important, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Maybe if it was another team, I would feel differently about it. And I'm looking at it from a biased perspective. I mean, the Fangio comments for a guy that has not been a very good head coach scream, scream loser. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I, so I wrote two blogs about this. The first one was after the video emerged of Fangio just like losing his mind in the moment. And it was caught by some local media source in Denver. He lost his mind and it seemed to be 
pretty much the end of it. Um, I think he may have said it was bullshit after the game too, without really elaborating on it. And I wrote about the fact that like, yeah, I, I could see how Fangio could be offended in that moment because football is a game about pride and their pride got hurt and it's their fault. They didn't stop them on the five yard run, but that's just kind of the way it goes. You use whatever you can to channel frustration and, and, and try to, um, I don't know, have pride in what you do. It's just kind of a football mentality that's existed for a lot of years. And I think there's some validity to it. And so he should have been, he should have taken some, um, I don't know, it has disrespect or whatever. And I see the other side for sure, where the Ravens have a ton of pride in the way they run the football they have for their entire existence. Uh, this is a record that's over two years uh, in the works. The record is right there in front of us, held by a rival, uh, by, by the way. And it's also from an era that it just wasn't supposed to be a record, not that people talk about it, the 100-yard streak record or whatever, but it's a record that one would think is not one that any team is going to approach in today's modern era. So you got to think that as they're approaching this record, it's just kind of one of those things that inside the building at the castle they're just kind of talking about you know mostly in joking terms but it's something that they actually take to heart that they didn't do their job if they didn't go out and rush for 100 yards and this offense played of, of a good to very good game all things considered but that that was one little piece that because the broncos were so focused on taking the run away from them that they were that streak was going to be stopped and that didn't sit well with John Harbaugh. And he said, okay, we get the ball back. We're going to try to run for those five yards. And that's exactly what they did. And those types of things can build. It's very cheesy. It's very old manish, probably uh, in this modern era to say it builds camaraderie in the, in the locker room. But I think that there's some validity to that too. So you got both sides probably with a, some valid reasons as to why um, they, you know, one would feel slighted and, and why one would do such a thing. For Fangio to come out the next day, and this is how I wrote the second blog, and dwell on it and pretty much open with that whole thing about that and calling it bullshit and then trying to trash the organization or trash the hardballs or whatever it was, is such a loser mentality. Absolute loser mentality. If you're dwelling on it and you're letting everybody outside your building know it, you've lost the war already. You've, you're Everybody in your own building stops believing in you and what you're about because you're so caught up in what other teams are doing that you're not focused on mining your side of the fence. And that's the reason why Vic Fangio has been a crummy NFL coach for two years. Now he's lucky to be three and or three and one. Now he's played the three shittiest teams in the league to go three and zero to start. And then he's well on his way to being on the job market, having burned a bridge with a guy who has as many connections as, as most guys here in the NFL. He's one of the most respected head coaches in the NFL. John Harbaugh is so, I mean, we're looking at probably losing our D coordinator. We have the last year or two to a head coaching job. So we could like Denver is probably a great situation for somebody like Wink Bartendale to slide into the head coaching job. And Vic Fangio would have made a lot of sense for him not to burn a bridge when he's probably going to be looking for a D coordinator job in four months. So Vic Fangio fucked himself. He made himself look like a loser. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it is is that enough for you? I mean, yeah. That that was my big takeaway was going to be the number like you don't want him to do it, stop him. Yeah. I, that, I mean, that's that's the the biggest thing. If yeah. you don't want him to, to 
let them run for it and they get three and you go, you know what? You tried it. It sucks. You didn't get it that, you know, yeah, we lost the game, blah, blah, blah. You tried to rub it in. You didn't too bad. But then my, that was going to be my other takeaway was what you harped on last. Probably going to be fired in a couple of weeks, dude, or a couple months. Like that's, and again, like, like you said, Baltimore probably would have been a good landing spot. Guess what? You can cross them off the list now because won't be getting an interview there. Um, I, I just thought it, and it, it was almost, it was weird to hear it from, uh, I get, I guess he's a veteran guy. He's not a veteran head coach. He hasn't had, was this his first, this was his first head coaching job. First head right? coaching coach job. Long time assistant. Few, yeah. Long time assistant with, like you said, the bears, the Niners, the Ravens. I feel he's been around. He's not a so, second chance guy either. I mean, no, he was no, no. an he, NFL defensive coordinator in 1995 for the expansion yeah. Carolina Panthers. So and, it's been and, a long career. So it's not like he's a young guy who maybe he's trying to jumpstart a rivalry or like, you know, someone who's like, let me, let me throw some gas on this fire. Like he's an old school football kind of guy where you would think that his mindset would kind of be, yeah, you know, and they, they tried it and they did it and good for them. You know, if, if I didn't want to get mad about it, we should have stopped them. But no, like he's, he's acting like, like what's the, what's the, the chargers head coach's name? Brandon Staley. Is that him? Yeah. Yep. Who's What is he? 13, 14 years old. Like, that it, it, I would have almost expected a young head coach to have that kind of mindset, but it's like, dude, you're 70, 72 jumped to mind for some reason. Like, dude, <laughs> he's an old man. Like he's 63. It's so funny. His Wikipedia photo is him in a Raven shirt. Um, <laughs> I like, noticed like, that too. Again, if you don't want him to do it, shut the, then your defense probably should have stopped him. The <laughs> other bizarre thing to me is he has a relationship with John Harbaugh why would you not call the guy on the, if you, call the guy the next or call that or say to it after the game in the post game handshake like what the do we have a the video of the handshake like what, uh, I, I can't what? believe I haven't seen that yet yeah I don't know I wasn't watching the broadcast when it happened so I but it's like it's not even if if there was a reputation that Harbaugh had that was a publicly known one that this is kind of a reputation that his injuries are not of a concern of his or player safety or that he did dirty things or whatever you want to call it. If this was a reputation, even behind closed doors, it would have, there would have been smoke sometime over 13 years or so. So which can't be because everything you hear, and we, I go back to the Justin Houston thing of wanting to play here. Everything that you hear is that guys want to play in Baltimore. Fangio's talking like he's, other players. So he's talking he's about Shiano. Matt Cook in the NHL or something. Like, like oh, we Greg all know Shiano what he's about. Diving like, in, diving everyone's like, it's crazy. The whole thing was very weird. Both, and by the way, to do it at your, to not address it right after the, I didn't watch. I don't know. I didn't watch his post game presser, and maybe nobody asked him. I, I, but to to like not bring it up in your Sunday post game, if you're so mad about it, to wait month till Monday and just drop it at your Monday availability. And then Har- Harbaugh's, Harbaugh's 16-point touchdown. I think just I think first. That was great. I think 60% NFL coaches would have said, we didn't care for that play. Next question. And left it at yeah, that. Yeah, really weird for yeah. him to then extrapolate the player's safety. That's a pretty serious charge to levy against a head coach. And once you're saying that, it's applying to the owner, the GM, everyone that's in the organization. I cannot imagine there were a lot of happy people at the castle about that comment. That that I mean, if um if I you know anybody in there, you're like what? Like that's a pretty big thing to put out there. Harbaugh handed it well. We're not concerned about it, but let me just take a little quick dig. Oh, we're not concerned about it. 
Nice. nice. Again, it, it almost seemed like they were trying, he was trying to like butt up a rivalry and like get something going. And it's like, you're, when are they going to play next four years? It's like, it's not a, it was, it was very, it was very strange, but I, I'm with you. I thought Harbaugh not only won the, the argument, not the argument, but like the bickering back and forth with the 16 point touchdown comment. Like, that was, cause he did the, like, I'm not going to say anything. And then it was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm fucking, I'm going to say it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to say it. The last thing I'll say about it, and Banks, it goes back to something you sort of mentioned, and I'm just speaking it from a, from a you know, college sports perspective here. Like at Gossett, where Maryland football used to be housed, and now at Jones Hill House, and this really applies to all of our sports in a certain way at Maryland. Like you have certain goals like up on the walls, especially, yeah. football, teams, especially football teams of like, we want to accomplish like whatever this is. So, you know, we don't baseball is actually a big one that has it too. Like we don't like we want to be under, we want to have this many quality at bats. We want to have go under this amount of walks. We want to see this many, whatever. Like at the castle, and maybe there's not, there has to be them checking off every single like we want to rush for 100 yards. Yeah. We want to rush. It's got to be a game goal. Like it's got to be a game goal. And I bet it's up in their building. Maybe it's different in professional sports because I haven't been in the Raiders building, but it would be up there in Maryland's building or in Alabama's building or in Notre Dame's building or whatever it is. So like, that's probably something they have. I'm sure they go in and the O-line coach, or maybe it's Greg Roman, or maybe it's whoever goes, boys, we're running for a hundred. We've run for a hundred again. We celebrate it again. We celebrate it again. We celebrate it again. So that's, I mean, I think there's no doubt that's the case. You're hundred percent correct. Yeah. You look at um, football and I, I don't know how much a lot of people realize it, but when football teams practice, you maybe spend half the time as a full unit together and the rest of the time. And this probably goes further in the NFL where there's more, I don't know, film study and those types of things. You spend a lot of times together at position groups and these position coaches set goals for their given position groups to try to accomplish as a, just an ends to a means to, to try to accomplish the bigger goal, of course, of winning the football game. But you can imagine the offensive line on this team and Greg Roman very run oriented, all about bullying the other team. And if they go out there and they're short of their goal of, of running for a hundred yards, they're going to want to do something about it. I think that John Harbaugh just looked around and he said, I think I've got five out of six position groups that feels pretty good about their day. And one that might feel, eh, you know, they're going to feel good about the win, but we want to satisfy everybody in this room and get a team win for everybody. And, and they're going to exactly- walk out with, with three digits on the board and rushing yards and everyone feels a little bit happier. And that helps team morale. And it goes back to like, if you didn't want it to happen, like stop them one more time, stop them one more time. I, I also, also they, like- and, right. If they care about player safety, like the Broncos wouldn't have been driving down to make it a, to make it an eight point game with 30 seconds left. Sorry, you're not winning. <laughs> I mean, you're not winning. You had 20 seconds left. Yeah. You're throwing the ball in the end zone. Yeah. Like, I, I'm also like, Harbaugh may have been sticking up for his guys. It could have been the linemen being like, hey, we're, we're three yards short or four yards short or whatever, being like, let, let us get this. Yeah. And let Harbaugh, us get like, you know yeah, what? Yeah. And, and that, that was the funny part, too, is I liked that Harbaugh completely owned it in, in the media. It was like, yeah, I did it. Like, yeah, we wanted to do it. I did it. Instead of like kind of pussyfooting around it, being like, yeah, owned it, owned it. Like, in the like, not with getting prompted, like owned mm-hmm. it in like without fans just saying anything. Like said, this is something we valued and we wanted to do exactly. Yeah. And again, like like, like you, you were saying, Banks, it's like a not not like a. I, like, I'm sure they've had it up on a billboard or not a billboard on a wall somewhere saying Week Four, 2021. 
that's the tying one. Week five, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is when the record will break. And it's like, I'm sure they've been looking forward to it for a while. And and like you said, you factor in it's the Steelers, you factor in it's like the running game that they're that they've been known for for years and years and years. It's a pride thing for them. And I'm sure I'm sure it was. And and I, I, I like I don't think it ever crossed Harbaugh's mind. Like, you know what? No, just kneel on it, Lamar. Yeah. Part of me, part of me thinks Lamar would have gone out there and been like, you know what? For, by the way, I kind of respect it. In a world where like every, like on all of these things, it's you like can't upset oh, everyone. You can't, you can't do this. Can't do, you gotta, can't do it. Like send him out, kneel. That's like what you're supposed to do. Like go out and keep playing. Like, I kind of like we want this record. Like yeah, put, put yourself down in history. That's fine. You're not winning or losing the Super Bowl right now. We're on that play. Like yes. set a goal, go get it. Football. In the one in one thousand chance that when you're a lineman blows their knee or Lamar, whatever. Yes. But like, go out and do something that's important to you. It's yeah. F- football is a game where a lot, a lot of times success besides the, the win and loss itself is difficult to quantify. And for uh offensive line group, I think rushing yards is one of the more quantifiable ways that they can look up at the stat sheet, the basic stat sheet and say, Hey, this is where we beat the other team today. Yeah. It's, it's, Kind of feels like it's a very, it was a very interesting kind. Of, it def, definitely made the last couple of days more upsetting. The Ravens don't normally have like, you know, Harbaugh is not a guy that's going to like go out in the media every week and give you like, you know, he's going to give you good quotes, but he's not going like to say anything controversial. Vic Fangio absolutely teed him up to get from just slap him back down to the ground. Now I'm going to, I will be rooting against Denver for the rest of the year. <laughs> Sorry, Denver. Um, I think they play Pittsburgh this week though. They do. Um, which we, they're only getting one point in Pittsburgh, which means on an even playing field, that Broncos team would be favored against the Steelers. Is Teddy, is Teddy starting? Pittsburgh or looks I, awful. I'm not sure if he is. I, I think I'm starting there. By the way, we, I mean, I not, may not to give ourselves a pat on the back. We could not have nailed the Teddy Bridgewater thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought we were going to talk about it. <laughs> Could not have nailed who the Steelers are any better. Oh, well, yeah, me. You, you had that from the book. We have well, talked- my only thing is I may have undersold how bad they are. Yeah, we haven't talked about them a ton. Um, they're really bad. Uh, and they're clearly the fourth the fourth team in the division. You have three three to one teams in the AFC North. The Bengals obviously skated by against the Jaguars but they've won three games. The Steelers have not done that. And it just, it does not look good. It does not. When, good. when do the Ravens and Steelers play first? It's their first game. December like seventh or something. Are you, I know, I know you're the, how upset you were at the Titans for not being able to put that, the final nail in the coffin for the Patriots. Like, yeah, I know you're worried about not being able to do that with the Steelers too, right? Like, yeah. That, that there is going to be a game where Ben gets knocked out or something like that. And it's not going to be the race. I tweeted at some point, I want to say I was looking at the Steelers schedule and being like, they're going to be two and five going into the Cleveland game or something. That Cleveland's just, yep, yep, Cleveland's yep. just going to bury them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's so sweet for them. Like I'm so jealous of that. But the thing <laughs> is they, they, on Halloween, we're, we're going to catch them at like, Four and twelve to finish them off and make them four and thirteen. Their last four games at home. That may be a Haskins. Here's their last four games: home for the Titans. It's going to be Ben's last game at Kansas City. At Kansas City, home for Cleveland at Baltimore. Oh, you what? Oh, I didn't you know think, that. You think they the Giants did this with Eli? Didn't they? Didn't they give him one last game? 
Well, it's after they, they, they bench him, him and then they gave him one last game. In well, week it's because 17. they fired what's his name, and when after he put Geno Smith in, and then right. they brought it back. Yeah, right. But well, I don't they, know. I think maybe Tomlin saved him. Did they give him start in Week 17, the final game of the season? I want maybe. the Steelers to do that in Week 18 in Baltimore. I don't. I think Tomlin. Incredible. I think Tomlin would save him. I don't think Tomlin would throw him to the Wolves like that. I think he's going to leave him all year. You think? No, the way they're talking about him. You, but, uh, yeah, they are. They're, they're, not, they they're not gonna. First of all, if they go to another guy, they're gonna go to Rudolph, not Haskins. Yeah, but Rudolph. I mean, Haskins. I don't know. Funny, Rudolph has had his chances, and I get. I mean, Haskins has, but not not with them. That's another thing, though. It's in. That's fourteen weeks. That's a long time. Anything could happen. I know. Plus, Ben, ben is already. He's he's been on the injury report for <laughs> the last four weeks. Fuck. <laughs> I say this. Oh, I love all of this. I say this as a man of faith, as a, as, as a man that, you know, understands the college football world that I live in right now. But if the Ravens didn't get the chance to finish off Ben Roethlisberger and instead it's Dwayne Haskins who had to the Baltimore week 17 to get absolutely destroyed. It real be, shame. Would, would be a real shame. It would be, it would be a real shame. It'd be a real shame for a guy that's gone about his business like a pro in the NFL. Been a real shame. By the way, one of the most outrageous quotes in the last two weeks in the world of sports is Randy Edsel saying in a story last week that if he had stayed as the like Edsel was, like when he got fired, that's why Dwayne Haskins left as a commit. That is an insane. <laughs> that was insane. That was insane. That. It was Mike Loxley. He committed because of Mike. Of Loxley. course, it was Mike Loxley. Like, it, I, yeah, a penny for there was a penny for Randy my man Lox's thoughts on that. Randy Edsel's a clown. I mean, that is Fucking an insane, insane quote. An insane quote. Mike Loxley is the what, one. That- what is the more more delirious quote? That or uh, Aaron, Aaron Boone. Boone's quote about narrowing the gap? The league having narrowed the gap on the Yankees. Can I def- can I quickly <laughs> can I, can I give you a defense of my man Aaron Boone, Booney? Booney. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Booney. I think what <laughs> I think what he meant was like the Yankees can't roll out of bed and win anymore, which like I think is still something that Yankees fans think. That's what I think he was saying. Like the perception of the perception of Yankee fans is like that's a misperception of his own misperception. I'm with you, Banks. I think he thought like I'm I'm with you. 100%. 100%. They, they, they I did the same thing when they I continue to look at the guy sitting in the dugout. They got to start looking at the guy that's making the team. That's all. Cashman is, yeah. yeah. We don't need to look at the, we don't need to go into a Yankees conversation. This is not a Yankees podcast. We're, We're talking just, about the Steelers and the Yankees right now. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's been around for 21 years and, and it's always the manager's fault. How many, how many caps teams- did that and they got rid of uh, McPhee? And then next thing you know, all right. There you have it. There you have it. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Yeah, Cast Podcast, Yankees Podcast, Steelers Podcast. Let's get to more about Ravens Colts. Um, we had we're gonna have friend of the show, Jake Luke, who early on in this podcast's history, I just absolutely messed up his name. Just I called him like LeCue or something, which I think <laughs> has caused him to put Jake now pronounced like Luke in his profile. So I've changed his life. I've legitimately changed his life. Um, Jake did an amazing, uh, first of all, blogs for Baltimore beat down. They have their podcast friends of us. They've had, they had me and banks on after the, after the draft They're you know, they do a great job over there. We'll promote that one with Jake on the show. Had me on before the Titans game. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're awesome. Great guys um, over there. He did an oral, oral history podcast 
on the Baltimore Colts dynasty. Um, six episodes, I believe. I yep. the number always goes out of my head. Um, called Forgotten Dynasty. An amazing research by him. Um, and, and he, if you look at his Twitter, his pinned tweet is sort of a description of how he went about it and some of the inspirations, some of the books that were involved. Um, but did a great piece on the history of the Baltimore Colts, um, the successes. Um, so I think a really cool piece for people to listen to that maybe don't know as much about the history of Baltimore football, that will give you a ton. Uh, so we'll have Jake on, we'll talk a little Ravens, we'll talk about the podcast. Um, so let's get to our interview with Jake Luke. Something magic happens. Back on the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood, joined by Jake Luke. Jake, Baltimore Beatdown, the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. But we want to talk to you first. Forgotten Dynasty, oral history you did on the Baltimore Colts. Really cool project. And, and, and amazing that, you know, a guy like you, like Baltimore fan, goes back and goes through all this history. First of all, what, welcome to the show. Second of all, how did that idea kind of come to you? And then what was the process of going through and doing what I'm sure was an insane amount of research? Because you got to educate yourself on everything, become an expert, and then go out and get all the interviews that you did. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for the kind words. Um, I guess the idea came to me just like you would expect. Like I grew up around here and uh, grew up a Ravens fan, obviously, but my dad, you know, grew up a Colts fan. And so that was something that I was very curious about um, over the course of uh, my young life and uh, came across a couple of books, a couple of different projects, got super interested in the idea of it. And like, I, I think the the original conceit of it to me was like, that stuff, if you look back on it, if you're a Baltimore fan, it feels almost like an urban legend, right? Because like, we don't have like this connection to the Colts in the same way that other like iconic fan bases and franchises have a connection like the Steelers and the Packers and all these like iconic sort of clubs have a connection to their, their past. Like it's a lot different with Baltimore and with Colts history, because like there's this demarcation point where they leave Indianapolis takes them and the history for Indianapolis starts in 1984. It kind of goes away with Baltimore after that point. And it turns into the Ravens, which is like a natural thing, but it's a really iconic history. It's an important history, something I wanted to preserve. So it's something I started to research when probably even before I started the Baltimore Beatdown podcast, because I had been writing for the website for a couple of years and I kind of always knew I wanted to do something with it. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I came across a book probably like two or three years ago by Jack Gilden called uh, Collision of Wills, which details the really icy relationship between John Unitas and Don Shula. And I don't know about you guys. I didn't even know Don Shula was ever with the Baltimore Colts at the time. So like mm -hmm. I read that and that kind of really gave me some context and gave me some color. And it brought me a little bit beyond the surface level. And I was like, okay, there's really something here. So if I want to do something on the Baltimore Colts, how about I do like a, a podcast where I focus on some of these characters and distill it down to the human element and uh, make it really kind of in an interesting story that spans a couple decades, as opposed to just reading off a Wikipedia page. So Basically, I guess to your question about the process, what it turned into from there was like reading the Wikipedia page and then finding certain sort of touchstones and key points and key characters, then going back, finding the context that I wanted to use and writing the story basically from that human perspective, because that's what that's what it's really about. It's not about like, you know, everyone knows they won championships. Everyone knows Johnny Unitas won all these MVPs and was this super important character. The real thing is like, why? So 
figuring that out, distilling it into this, what wound up being a six part podcast series. That was something I was really kind of waffling on. I didn't know how long or short it was going to be or what. I had no template to really work off of. I kind of based it off of like other narrative podcasts that I listened to, but it's something that's sort of hard to wrap your mind around when you're in the middle of it, but you just kind of, you know, you take the bull by the horns and you go, I guess. Yeah, it's well said. I think I come from a similar place where my father grew up in the area. He was a, a big Colts fan and he got left in the wake, just like all of, um, you know, everybody in that era. Um, and so what was interesting to me is that there's this bridge, there's this, this newer generation that yourself and, and myself are in that kind of is, doesn't quite know a lot of that. And I think we're getting to a point now where enough time has passed, where a lot of maybe the artifacts or, or whatever you want to call it, um, the stories they, as these Colts players or the people that were close to them, as they tend to move on and pass away and the opportunity to kind of document these types of things are, uh, are, you know, they're slipping away. So did you feel like there was some sort of a duty to kind of document and, and, and tell this story for some of us here in this generation? Yeah, there was. And there was also, frankly, like there was some anxiety with it too. Like, and it, it, weirdly, like I shouldn't say that because relatively like no one listens to my shit like no one cares about me right like I've got you know a couple couple thousand listeners on the, on our podcast but like at the same time I was like if I'm gonna do this thing I want to do it right and I do to your point there Brian I did want to like try and bridge a gap so to speak because I don't know if I hit on this in my original answer there but it's like cult history it just exists in a weird place where you know our dads to our point that you made earlier like they were alive to remember it and they you know, they love Johnny and I guess probably some of those guys that they grew up watching and all that, but they, you know, it's not that they don't care anymore, but there's maybe a little bit anger. It's just a little bit, that history is a little displaced for them. And it's definitely displaced for our generation where I guess to what I was originally saying, it just feels kind of like an urban legend. And like, you hear all the names, you hear all the stories and all that stuff, but it's all very surface level. So I think I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to keep it alive. And I wanted to tell these stories that I felt were important because the Ravens came to town and they had so much success so quick. And that's, that's obviously great, but there is a, there's a history in this town of football that is on par with the Green Bay Packers and, you know, the Steelers and some of these other iconic franchises, if not more iconic ultimately for what they did to make it a viable professional product. I mean, these are, we're talking about like the original, basically creators of like football is like a TV product to what it became today. Like what we watch today on Sundays, you can trace back to what the Colts were doing in the 1950s, which is funny. Cause like, I didn't, I don't know if I even really knew the scope of that when I started the project, but like after doing it and talking to a lot of people that are smarter than me and doing a lot of research on it, I, I came to realize that it's a story that unfolds on itself. And you realize it, it is something that's very important. It needs to be preserved. It needs to be known by, People are our age, not just in the area, but I think uh, around the country. People need to know about Johnny Unitas and like Carol Rosenblum, who was the owner, who's like, if you look into that guy, that, that guy was into some some really interesting shit. And he was a, a really, really interesting owner who, uh, I don't know if I'd say he's a Bashadi type as far as the success he was, but he was even more like cutthroat than Bashadi and really interesting. So I think I was drawn in by those characters and uh, I, I just really wanted to get the story right. And I wanted to get it out to our generation, to your point. What was the most rewarding part of it? Just doing it weirdly. Like you, like, I don't know, man, like, I don't know about you guys, like you do a pod and everything like that. And you know, Taylor, you do the, the Maryland social media. So like, 
you're doing a very like forward facing thing where a lot of people are reaching out and saying like, Oh, great job. Great. This great, that pat on the back. And like, I got a lot of those for doing that. And it was great. But like, I never had any more fun with this whole thing than just sitting there and like reading a Wikipedia page and then finding like a character, like a storyline or something. And then you type that in and there's like a million sports illustrated stories from like 1968 that come up and you get they're in the archives in sports illustrated just on an easy Google search and you can read them. So I think like kind of the process of like finding out and like, I don't mean to sock a huge here, but like the, like finding my process of like being a script writer of like, yeah. okay, like I find, you know, this story, how do I like fit it into like these other elements of the story? Cause like, if you listen to the show, I did it. And I, Brian, you and I talked about this. Like I did it kind of a little bit out of chronological order where mm -hmm. I, I do like, you know, X part of the fifties, but then I would go back to another character's perspective and like do it, you know, back up to that same point, kind of filling that out. That was just, I found that to be really fun and like something that I didn't even know I was capable of. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. As I listened to it, I listened to it early in the summer as these things were being released and not to give you another pat on the back here, but I thought it was phenomenal. And this kind of project is the kind of thing I envy you for having gone and done because I, you know, I went into my, my father's childhood room before my grandparents moved out of it, moved out of that house and used to read some of those old football books and old, old sports books. And I, and I learned a lot through those types of things, but I was at an age where I wasn't, and, and even techno technologically, it wasn't really at my disposal to dig deeper into these types of things. Um, so there was kind of a bridge, even for me having not revisited these types of things until you kind of did such a comprehensive job of it, that it was really kind of rewarding to revisit my own memories of reading these books and talking about them with my, my dad and grandfather now. Um, so, uh, I don't even remember where I was going with that. When you first started this whole thing, like, how, like, what did you envision in terms of how long it was supposed to be? And then, I mean, because the, the, the full product is what about 12 hours worth of listening, give or take probably about that. Yeah. So it's six episodes, maybe around two hours each average. So yeah. Probably yeah. We, we were talking a little bit about, um, just like the storyboarding process and just how do you lay it out and how do you tell the story? where you do each of the given storylines justice while still trying to keep some sort of chronological element to it. You know, how much time overall did you put into the project? Probably as far as like an actual concrete sitting down and doing work on it, probably like six to eight months. Um, cool. But like I said, it was something that like I had had in my mind for a couple of years. Like I wrote up scripts back in like 2019 when I first started the podcast, like, and I, I don't know if I had laid it out, but like, it was just kind of like reading Wikipedia pages. It's like, okay, well, I'll just like sum it up, you know, point by point by point. And just like, it'll, it'll be like that. And like, I don't know how you guys feel about your creative stuff, but I am very, uh, let's say not confident in my creative process and my creative self to a fault sometimes. But I do think that kind of keeps me honest with stuff. And I wrote out a first couple of original drafts back in like 2019, maybe a little bit in 2020 when I was going insane in quarantine. And um, I was just like, you know what, this isn't going to hack it. Let's put this on the shelf for a little bit. And I think to what I was originally talking about with the book, the um, Collision of Wills book, when I came across that, I was like, all right, here's kind of the, the tack to take into it, like find characters, do that kind of thing. But as far as I think what you're kind of asking is like, how did I storyboard it? How did I like mm -hmm. set up the different threads and all that kind of stuff? Weirdly, like I wish I could say that like I had this dynamite process where I was like putting stuff up on, you know, doing the... Uh, 
what's the always sunny Jim. where he's like, he's got the bulletin board. Like I wish I was doing <laughs> the Pepe Sylvia and yeah, the Pepe Sylvia. I was, was just I was the not wire Pepe or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I was not, I was not doing that at all. Like it just, it just, I sat down and started typing and it just came off my fingertips, like pretty much as you heard it. And there was definitely a lot of editing and like that kind of stuff, but I don't know, man, like the story is just so like, it's almost unbelievable. Like when you sit down and look at it, like Unitas is like a folk hero. But he was he was a real guy. Like you don't really think about him that way, but he was just a very real guy with real issues and that kind of stuff. So like looking at some of his stuff and like I think particularly the way some of the storylines play off each other, like the fact that the Colts are this very stoic old school franchise in the 1950s, they were kind of very perfect for the 1950s, right? And then you get into the 1960s, and I spend a lot of time in I think the second episode, I was listening to it a little bit to kind of prepare to talk to you guys about it. In the second episode, I spent a lot of time talking about like the New York Jets. I spent like probably an hour talking about the inception of the New York Jets and the AFL. I wouldn't have ever thought I would have done that when I sat down to write it, but I was just like, it's so important to like do that because what that ultimately does is that sets up how iconic and important it was that those teams would meet in what would ultimately be called Super Bowl three in 1968 and like why that's such an important game and how Joe Namath who's this like, you know, what a lot of people think, where it's not really true. A lot of people think he's just this jackass, like hippie that was just coasting off his talent. He was really a super talented player, a smart guy. And uh, I think he should probably be remembered a little bit more than the kissing Susie Culver moment, but that's its own conversation. Um, And so, yeah, it was just kind of like sitting down and kind of just putting words on the page and just, you know, following where they took me. But it it really just came down to who the most interesting people in the story were, like Rosenblum, Namath, Unitas, Don Shula, I found super interesting, Weed Eubank. So just kind of following where the, the people in the story's lives took me, I guess. I'm, I'm sure you've got a ton of feedback on it. Um, just again, from the listeners, people following you on Twitter and all that stuff. Was there anyone who, you, again, it could be a guy who's 80 years old who like, you know, his grandkid showed it to him and was like, this is awesome. Has anyone from the Ravens or anyone – trying to think of like any of the old Colts or anyone like that reached out and, and just given you some, some like really good feedback or, or anything like that. Not that I can think of. I think it's interesting because I was promoting it a little bit today on Twitter and uh, some dude, I, his name is escaping me, escaping me, but he tweeted me and he was like, I'm going to have to check that out. My dad played for the Colts. Hmm. And I was like, okay, that's pretty sick. Like that, that's cool. Yeah. Um, Lacey DeCosta listened to it apparently which uh, I, I don't know like how that happened, but uh, somebody, I think somebody like wound up tweeting her. She was asking for like pod recommendations not like today or whenever, whenever that was, but like a while ago. And within the organization, I probably could do a better job of like self-promoting my stuff, honestly, um, and especially something like this, but I don't know. Um, maybe if I had, like I, I would have gotten more feedback from people like closer to the story but uh, not necessarily, but like, it was cool because like, if you listen to it, like I, Bill Curry features heavily in it. And like, he played for the Colts, like when all this stuff was going down, like he knew Unitas and Shula very well. And so that was kind of, the United Shula relationship was a big part of it. So getting to talk to him, like that was really cool. And like, we, we had, you know, a couple, a couple words, like after the interview was over, he said like, great job. Like, I'm sure this is going to turn out well. So probably, you know, hopefully I'll like send it to him this week or something like that, see what he says. But uh, yeah, I haven't, not like in that sense necessarily, but there have been some, some cool people and uh, pretty, I pretty much got hundred percent positive feedback on it so far. So that's, that's been good. I mean, I guess the best part is you can kind of promote it until the end of time. 
Like it's not this. It's not like the story not is time bad. sensitive or anything. That was the yeah. idea, and like that's when uh, that's like why I released it when I did. Like to the original like conversation we were having about like me spending eight months on it. I always knew that I wanted to release it in like June or whatever. You know, when the NFL calendar is kind of dead, and you can kind of just like flick off all your sports news and just like tune into something like that. So I'm glad I released it at that time um, and kind of kind of had the patience to hold on to it. Cause uh, it was, it was honestly kind of nerve wracking, just like sitting on that for a while and sitting on that idea and like not really talking to anyone about it for a couple, couple years, half a year, whatever it was when it started to come into form. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was really cool when we finally put it out. Was there, did you ever run into like any roadblocks where you're researching something or, or say you, you read it in a book or you, you saw it somewhere and you go to look it up and you're just like, I can't find anything. On, on either a guy, a game, you know, a moment, something like that, where you're just like, I think I have to, to either cut this or I, I can't really focus on it like I want to. So I'll give you a fun one. I really wanted to focus on uh, Rosenblum. Uh, when I talked to Jack Gilden, who wrote the book on United Shula, he spent a lot of that book talking about Rosenblum. And when we talked, I don't know if I put this in the pod. I think I did. He mentions very briefly that Rosenblum was friends with John F. Kennedy's father. Like they were very close when they grew up. And John F. Kennedy's father uh, was a bootlegger. And he, he says in the pod, like, I, I don't know if it's in the pod, but he said to me, like, there, there was a lot of theories that they were involved in bootlegging together. Hmm. And so I wanted to look into that, but, and I think he couches it and said he was a little too young for that. So probably not. So I looked into that and couldn't find anything. And then there was another Rosenblum aspect where he was a big gambler and he was, he was in deep with some guys from New York and all this stuff. He was a real high roller. And there are theories. So he died, I believe, in 19, I probably should know this off the top of my head, but I think he died in 1979 or 1980 in a drowning incident in L.A. And there are theories out there that he was hooked up with the mob and that his gambling issues, uh, you know, he went swimming one day and he didn't come back. Yeah, concrete not, ne- Maybe not necessarily an accident. And there's this whole YouTube documentary that I sat down and watched, but like I... I wanted to put it in, but I was like, you know what? I can't do this. Like, this isn't like, it wouldn't be fair of me to like put this in there and like do that and like kind of do his family. Like, cause he, he has family still alive. And like, I didn't want to, didn't want to like necessarily be disrespectful like that, but I found, found that to be like super interesting and like kind of, kind of a funny thing for the NFL. And like, it's, it ties into the fact that like, have, have you guys ever heard his name? Like, I don't know if you guys even really like Brian, I know you listen to the pod. I don't know how deep you guys got into it, but like, I don't know if you guys had heard his name before, like, listening to it or being aware of it i had never heard his name before he's a very worthy hall of fame candidate he's not in the hall of fame there are theories out there that because of all those connections and because of those theories that he was killed by the mob that's why he's not in the hall of fame so like that's something i really wanted to explore but just in like good conscience of like i'm just a jackass podcaster i don't want to disrespect this guy and his family i'm not going to put it in there but like that's something i found really interesting it's also like can you find enough people or find enough like sources to like go on the record to like trip exactly yeah like it would like be you're going down a road you're going down a road yeah, you're, you're it's all speculation at that point yeah. i feel like you guys should do like a true crime podcast inspecting that maybe i'm giving you an idea here, but, uh, yeah something so you that. want us to get tied up with the mob and not you i'll <laughs> well, tell you what there is there has got to be a market for and i'm surprised in an era where there is true crime about literally everything that there is not like a 10 podcast series of like mysteries of sports that that is not out there that yeah it's waiting to happen that's I a guess. great point yeah let's keep that no one listens guys yeah, cut, yeah. That. cut that keep that <laughs> among the four of us um 
obviously everyone go out to listen to that forgotten dynasty. Awesome job by you, Jake. Uh, we can't let you go though, without talking about this current Baltimore football team, three and one, you know, we're talking ad nauseum. You're talking on your show as well to our listeners. Where do you feel like this team is right now heading into Monday? I love where they're at. And I, I wrote on our website, BaltimoreBeatdown.com, that I love where they, are, they were at going into the Denver game. And I said, I trust this team. Like, and there's, there's so much, and I don't mean to sound like meathead football guy, but like, there's so much analytics and numbers out there and all this stuff that you can like refer to and say, all right, here's the reason why this is that way. Here's X reason why Y is this way. I just had a feeling after that Detroit game, and this is like such a sports talk radio. I should be on 105.7 The Fan right now saying this. Like, I, I just, I trust that this team is like gritty enough to get it done week in and week out. It's just a gut feeling with this team. And like Denver was a very good team. Like they had a great defense, a good offense with Teddy Bridgewater, but I, just, I was just confident. And like, it's not always that I'm confident that like the Ravens are going to win. Maybe I'm just scarred from like the, uh, the, the tough Flacco years, but I was just confident they were going to get it done in the, in the fashion that they did. And they went that went out and did it exactly that. So three and one after the, let's call it a road stretch that they just faced where they were on the road for three games and they played Kansas city, which is effectively, you know, as far as like the point spreads or whatever, that might be a road game. I don't know how you consider that because they're just so damn good. The chiefs. Um, But to get through that stretch at three and one, I had them at two and two before all the injuries they were facing, like, you know, with J.K. Dobbins going down and Gus Edwards, Marcus Peters, everyone knows about all that stuff. I had them at two and two to start the year. So the fact that they started two, uh, three and one, you have Harbaugh, who I, I will forever be a massive fan of. And uh, Lamar Jackson is just it looks like to me and I don't know how you guys feel about this. It looks like we are entering a new phase of Lamar Jackson's career where he is as effective a passer as ever. And it's going to help them week to week when they need to rely on that arm of his as opposed to uh the rushing attack, which unfortunately is non-existent now, but like I feel like they can get past the Colts one way or the other uh, by hook or by crook, and then uh, they'll be four and one. You got two more road game or uh, home games, and then the bye week. So I think they're they're sitting pretty right now. Yeah, I, I kind of have to agree with you there. I think the in terms of Lamar Jackson offense, I think if you we all want to look back at 2019 and think about what could have been, and also just just marvel at how good that team was and why they were so good. They ran the football so damn well that it didn't really matter for so many games um, whether the team could do one thing or another or be multidimensional. Um, I think we're starting to see that next evolution where this offense can pick and choose what it wants to do or it can react to what a defense is throwing at it and do it effectively. They don't run the ball like they did two years ago, but they still run it damn well when the defense gives them the opportunity to do so. The Broncos took it away on Sunday, but we, you know, we pivoted and we ran or through the football with a lot of ease. And I think there was a lot of opportunity to, to kind of do a lot more damage that we didn't do on Sunday as well. So, you know, we played a pretty good game on Sunday and I think it could have been a lot better. And, and we all know that we left some points on the board in Detroit too. Yeah, definitely. And uh, hopefully, um, hopefully that's okay with slick Vic Fangio and the boys down there in Denver who are uh, still making a thing out of that uh, whole four yards of offense at the end of the game. But yeah, man, I agree with you. And like people like 2019 was so much fun, but I feel like it broke a lot of fans brains and like, especially some of the newer younger fans that were coming in just based off the Lamar experience to think like, Oh, it's, it's going to be a breeze. It's going to be a cakewalk and they're going to be winning the division in, in the playoffs, you know, us guys that grew up and we don't, you know, we don't need to act like we're like these grizzled veterans watching this team or anything, but you know, we grew up with, 
a little bit more of a, a cardiac kids mentality to some respect, like even in Super Bowl years or the, the one Super Bowl year that we have uh, the most clear memories of. There were some really tough weeks. That was a 10 and six football team. So it's just one of those things where you never know what's going to happen. But like, I just feel like they're they're at an interesting inflection point where the talent is there. It's been there for several years. But it just felt like, and this is another thing that's unquantifiable, but it just felt like the experience maybe and sort of the, and this was something that maybe I scoffed at a little bit, but like the lack of basically, I, I wouldn't say leadership, but just grit and grind that could get you through some of these tough games. Maybe that just wasn't there. It feels like it's there now. Like it feels like watching these games, like it feels like watching Lamar. He just looks like a guy that's been around for a while because frankly he has. And I think that shows in, in his play. I think I wrote at the beginning of the year that, um, Banks, you might know this Padre Carrington quote where he talks about the inflection point between innocence versus experience and how it's not, it's not all cracked up to be to be experienced because you lose some of the innocence that gives you the naivete to just go out and let it rip and not worry too much. But he did say there is like a sweet spot where that kind of comes together and you're able to basically perform at your absolute best. So I kind of feel like they're in, in a good spot right now where they're at that inflection point where they have the experience and the grit and grind of going through playoff games, playoff losses. They got a playoff win under their belt, but they also have plenty of talent. Lamar still has plenty of talent and uh, they're just kind of, they're physically peaking. So there's, there's still going to be peaks and valleys to the season. It feels like there's, they've already played like 16 games already and they're only through four. So it's going to be tough. They're going to have to manage that, but uh, I don't know, man, I just feel like they're in a really good spot. It's interesting you say that about the, about sort of the combination of obviously like, you know, youth and, and the vigor that gets you to what happens in, 2019 where it felt like every time they tried out there it was going to be you know the easiest like two quarters and then you just like slept through the last three two quarters because the game was already over I had to like retune my brain the next year to realize that that just wasn't going to happen every single game um but you know you think about you know the the last time the rims won a title that was after four consecutive years of like getting close and losing and getting close and losing and getting close and losing they've kind of you know, they haven't gotten to the, you know, the conference championship game, but it's been like, go to the playoffs and lose, go to the playoffs and lose, go to the playoffs and lose. Maybe like the core of this team is sort of getting towards the point where it's like, okay, we're not expected to get a little farther, expected to get a little farther. And you kind of combine, you know, all those experiences together. Like it's the easiest thing to say. And it's another very like, kind of like cliche. It is so hard to win and it's so hard to win. It's hard to win, like be the last team standing in any sport that goes on that you have to go through a lot before you get there. Um, and maybe this is where that Ravens team is right now. They do feel like a team that just kind of is like going about their business and, and trying to win games. It does. It's funny, man. Uh, it's funny I, you said they had grit I, week one, and maybe we hot take this on our, on this show. We were like, God, they look soft in the second half. They look soft. Like maybe they're just soft. And since they have not, they've been anything but soft. They've yeah. Been, Ridiculous. And maybe, yeah, and maybe we're, be re, we're being reactionary right now after these three games and, like, it'll flip the other way. But I don't know, man. It just feels like the, the experience is there. The, and to, your, to the word we've been using there, the grit is there. And another thing about, like, corrupted brains and corrupted minds, like, Patrick Mahomes comes in the league and just looks like the best NFL player we've ever seen. And he wins the Super Bowl within two years or, you know, second year as a starter, whatever it is. And we just kind of, like – people all of a sudden are holding like Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield and all these guys to that standard. Like I get that, like that's probably where the league is going because all these kids grew up watching Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and like all, all these other guys and they all want to be quarterbacks and they're all going to be good quarterbacks. And we're approaching a point where quarterbacks are going to be a lot easier to find than, you know, 
than they were 10 years ago, say, where what was a joke? Like there's X amount of human beings on the planet. We can't find 32 to play quarterback. Well, we're getting pretty close to that not being the case anymore. It feels like every team is kind of selling themselves on some kind of future. So the, the nature of the quarterback position at this point is, you know, selling people such to the point that they think that you need to win a championship right away. Well, unfortunately, it's not always that easy. And it's not always that easy when you don't have Patrick Mahomes. So I think that's a great callback by you, Taylor, to the fact that everyone talks about that 2012 team as this like team of destiny. Amazing. Like they came out of nowhere. That, that team built up four years of sweat equity of losing the playoffs, losing the AFC championship game. That was a damn good nine and two football team that had some bad injuries. And, uh, you know, they fell ass backwards into the playoffs, but make a couple coaching changes, make a change at left tackle, they turn it around and go win it. So it just kind of speaks to the ins and outs of, uh, of football season, basically. And it's going to be even wilder this year with 17 games. But I don't know, man. Like, it just – I'm more confident than ever in John Harbaugh. Like, he's a guy who uh, I'm just super fascinated by. Just sort of his uh, – kind of his old world values, kind of that Rockefeller charisma that he has. I, I love the guy. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's few coaches there. There are better coaches than him in the league, but there's few coaches that I'd rather have to root for than him. I think he's just a guy who strikes the right combination of being able to fire you up and also keep you in the moment. So, uh, like I said, it, it might still be a little bit of a roller coaster over the, even the next couple of weeks. I mean, the, the three games heading into the bye it, at home, that sets you up pretty well, but uh, we'll see what happens. I love this entire dissection of, of life as a football fan and all the warped perceptions that come with it. I mean, it's a great point about Mahomes. I think uh, we like the entire league has a warped perception of what a quarterback is supposed to be at a given, you know, X stage of their career and that whole thing. And then I think our, our perception of this three and one start is, is com- probably completely warped by just the fact that that OA punches that ball out at the 31. If we don't get that win, we're not quote unquote over that hump and kind of on to the next one. You know what I mean? Like what's the next mountain to climb to some degree. So um, it's just a fascinating thing. And that, that too, with the playoffs and the, in 2012 and, you know, I'll, I'll probably go to the grave at least at the, to this point saying that the, the 2006 Ravens and the, the 2019 Ravens are probably the two best pound for pound Ravens football teams in their history and they're not the two that have won the super bowl so um it's just fascinating uh, to me 2011 you drop a pass and you miss a kick you know right yeah and then you just kind of get that coin to flip on the other side with the in denver the next year so um it's just funny how this game works sometimes and you know what you see is not necessarily what you get absolutely it's uh it's interesting football you know i i sometimes question why I watch it because it does bring me a lot of undue stress. I ask myself sometimes <laughs> as a, as a 26 year old man, if I can allow this to continue, if I can allow sports to affect my emotions. And uh, the answer as I sit in my cubicle every day is wholeheartedly yes, because what else is there? Yeah. I mean, it, there is a, there is a like long, and maybe it's out there that someone has done. There is like a long discussion to be had that maybe would get too deep and too much for us to like go back to being as like pure of, of watching sports as someone that like is around it literally every day. And who's so much of like the ups and downs of both my work and my personal life. You're literally and wearing a big 10 revolves it. Yeah. Zip right now. This is like, this is like <laughs> the like, Rob Lowe. Yeah. You're Rob Lowe for the big 10. So this is from the big 10 men's <laughs> golf tournament from like three years ago, bought of a country club. I, I, I wore it. I had nothing else to wear of this polar day. So I, I put it on and it's under armor. So it works. But, uh, 
it's just wild because you can go down this road and be like, okay, like why am I just doing this to myself week after week in whatever team that you support? And there's like a variety of things that go along with that. Like the highs are so high. And this is the same thing you get at work. It's like the highs are so high. The lows are so unbelievably low, but like those things balance out where you always want the high more. You always want to go back to the high. And fortunately it's week two instant analysis as a Raven. Yeah. As a Ravens fan, as a Ravens fan walking out of the stadium, a lot of oh, it, yeah. a lot of it's been pretty high. So it's yeah. like, I can't imagine rooting for like the jets. Oh, I, they're a good. They're a good football an, team. Okay. Just leave it at that. What do, should we do our 2021 Orioles recap now? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> it's like, that's, that's, the dichotomy right there one reminds you of uh, the, the dark side and one reminds you of the light side hopefully it turns around for uh, that that dark side eric you know maybe uh maybe we'll we'll get some something something nice to cover here over the next couple of years but uh for the meantime it, it is an interesting sort of split there but yeah you're right taylor i mean like and it's interesting because like i talk about in in forgotten dynasty like the Colts, like Baltimore, they started all this shit with like the t- like the 1958 championship game basically started pro football on tv and like since then, and it's interesting because like I go back and watch footage of that game and there's like 60, 70, however many thousand people in Yankee, the old Yankee stadium watching that game. And I'm like, who are these people? Like, this is pro football in 1958. What were, what did they care about it? And like, maybe to them, it like meant that much. It meant as much as it did, you know, relative to us, but I don't know, man, it's funny how uh, it does seem like more high stakes than ever. And maybe that's just a function of us being addicted to Twitter or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, it's, it's cool to think about, I guess, but I can't really get too swept up in it. Cause uh, I don't know. I I'm too swept up in sports, but um, yeah. And the Jets, my, my good buddy at work is a Jets fan. And he's uh, he tells me that he's more into his fantasy team at this point. Cause he just can't take the, the heartbreak of being an actual Jets fan. As is mine. I share an officer. The Jets fan is also a Yankees fan. He told me he will all, he will be miserable for forever and will never win again. Yeah, those that's that is a tortured fan base. <laughs> Yankees, he goes Yankees, Jets, Knicks, doesn't have a hockey team. And you really you do hate that for the Yankees uh, yesterday night as we record this. That was that was a tough scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, we still have the homer in the first. We'll always have the homer in the first day. Absolutely. Um, Jake, thanks so much for coming on, man. Plug uh plug everything you got right now. Baltimore Beatdown, all that stuff. Yeah, BaltimoreBeatdown.com. That's where we do all our written content, part of uh, the SB Nation uh, network, if you're familiar with that, uh, covering the Ravens. So uh, check us out. You can check out our podcast that I host with uh, Mr. Spencer Schultz, who you should check out if you were deep into the uh, the film scene, want to learn more about the game. He's an absolute rock star. You can get him at Ravens4Dummies on Twitter. So I'll plug that first, but you can also check out our pod where me and him dice it up. I think we do a nice mix of... Uh, what you guys do with, you know, kind of the, uh, the nice, you know, fan side of it and sort of, you know, bringing some levity and uh, some enjoyment and uh, the emotional side of the game. And uh, we also want you to learn a little bit, I guess, uh, is the way that I would put it, you know, maybe get some, uh, some education on football courtesy of him because he's a savant with it. So you can find us on uh, all your pod platforms or on YouTube. We got full video episodes. It's just Baltimore Beatdown podcast. So Check all that out. You can check it out on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. And my at is at Jake Luke. And you'll know that it's at Jake Luke and that it's me because there's a uh, blue check mark next to it. So, yes. And you'll know that it's pronounced Luke because because I pronounced it wrong. And I'm pretty sure that's why it's in your profile. I don't want to take credit for that, but <laughs> I think, yeah, no, I think that's why I did that because um, you guys were the catalyst, at least. Like I, I had had people have me on like their pod or whatever, like over the course of the years before that. And it was, it, I always get the conversation, like, how do you pronounce it? And like, 
that extends to uh, real life. So I wish I, uh, I wish I had some bio or some card that I could carry around in real life that would tell people how to pronounce it because the amount of times I get low Q or La Croix or whatever, uh, what, it, what was yours low key originally? Uh, I think I called you. I think I was like trying to make it really French. Like, it, it, well, it is like it probably, there is probably some like pronunciation of it. It's like super <laughs> French and we can Americanize it. You got that guy. Cajun accent like you wouldn't believe so there was probably some sort of probably some sort of uh French Canadian uh pronunciation of it but we're just uh we just stick with the other uh, basic American pronunciation I guess so Jake Luke on Twitter there you go Jake thanks so much for coming on make sure to listen to Forgotten Dynasty Jake's oral history of the old school Baltimore Colts appreciate it man thank you boys keep up the great work thanks back to you in the studio Back on the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood. Thanks once again to Jake Luke for coming on the podcast. Great stuff. I mean, just an incredible job for him, like with a day job to just go and do an entire war history on a sports franchise is pretty impressive. So make sure to go out and uh, and listen to his podcast. It was interesting to listen and talk about the process of that. Yeah, I, I listened to this his podcast series back in June on like a long drive to a wedding down in Georgia. And it is comprehensive as shit in all the best ways. Just so much stuff you can learn about. If you knew even the, the top service level stuff, he dives in, you get to know all about it, all the context behind a lot of things, but why the Baltimore Colts are who they are. I mean, he explained the shit out of it. He knew he absolutely knows his stuff. And I think he may have been afraid to say like how many hours he, he put in it. And I forget what the number was, um, but hours wise, I think he dropped a number on my head when I asked him back then in June, that was just like insane, just mind boggling number. And it's like, I could never have the attention span to do something like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty amazing accomplishment. Um, and I, and I love that he admitted that it was like stressful for him. Cause like once you start to go about it, like you don't want to mess it up because there's a lot of people that care about it. So you do it wrong you're going to feel even worse when you started doing it so good for him make sure to go listen and and, and read all of jake's content and all the stuff they do at Baltimore beat down friends of the show so yeah um I couldn't endorse it more that. by the way I, I if i didn't yeah. make that clear i highly endorse it yeah um those guys are awesome and, and jake did a great job and that will give you a lot of history as as eric said i'm sure they're going to cover this Baltimore colts situation uh every time these two teams play so if you're not that educated about it make sure to go and listen. That brings us to the starting five draft presented by Fed Thrill. Here come the sunglasses. People can't see them. I keep doing this like people are watching us or something, but the sunglasses have now gone. Look, the sun stays out in every season, fall, winter, spring, summer. So there's no better time to continue to get new sunglasses and buy your Fed Thrills. Exit 52 is the promo code 20% off. Eric, you were texting us about people ordering Fed Thrills today. Yeah, using the promo code. Um, yeah, people people want them. Just because summer's over doesn't mean you're not still wearing sunglasses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the- out, you know, walking. Through. As we said last, you do all your fall things. What you were hiking this? I think so. I think that was what was bandied about that he was potentially doing. So connection there. Am I am I here? Am I live? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Just you yeah, to, just, yeah, just yep. keep going. Yep. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I there? I yeah, think you're back. Yeah, you're. All right, that's cool. 
there's nothing like the bag connection going out. Me and Eric just mm-hmm. stare at each other like, oh, I wonder if he's going to come back or not. <laughs> One of the great parts of the pod. We out here. One of the great parts of the pod. <laughs> yeah. So get your Fed Thrills x the promo code for that. In light of the Colts being – Colts leaving Baltimore being one of the most devastating moments in many fans that grew up here's lives, the team leaving. Um, obviously, documentaries thought about it, different things. <laughs> we are going to do a really fun and, and, and you know, uplifting draft here. Yeah. Uh, our most devastating sports moments for us personally. So not like what would be devastated, the most devastating to somebody else, but for us personally, our most devastating sports moments. RDT, you have the first pick. I have the second pick. Banks has the third pick. All right, Eric. I think I know where you're going here. You're By the way, when you suggested this, I think yesterday – I legitimately thought it was because of Maryland football on Friday. <laughs> that's I, I, the Colts thing, just that, just that light just got turned on for me. Like, Oh, okay. That's why. Yeah. It wasn't the, the game on Friday. That Friday was, will not, I will not be drafted. Friday. That, that's, and I figured it wouldn't be drafted, but that's when I was like, man, Taylor's taking that hard. Like he is. <laughs> What's really funny is I drove, I drove, I drove Brian home. At, he came as banks came as a fan. And I really was pretty over it at that point. Oh, yeah. I was way more devastated in 2019. I think that's more bec- – and maybe that – maybe I'm giving away a pick. I don't think anybody's picking that either because I just cannot stand Penn State. And so that was just – it was just worse to watch them continually score. Iowa don't have a ton of emotion. So, you know, it is what it is. We move on. The best is ahead. TBIA. Back to neutral. Ohio State Saturday. Big noon. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. So my, I mean, my one, one is I'm, I'm just pulling up the, uh, where is it? um, blah, blah, blah. it's, it's gotta be, it's game one. C-A-L-C-S Orioles Yankees. It's Jeffrey Mayer. And not only is it Jeffrey Ooh. Mayer, it's, it's what's the fucking um, Laz. Is it Laz D? No. What was the umpire's name? Why can't Laz I think Diaz. It? Laz Diaz? Yeah. It's Laz Diaz. It's, it's, it's everything with that game. Um, that was – so I was seven at the time. I was with my – I remember exactly where I was, uh, the Ulrich's living room. My dad, Brian Magid, Maryland legend, not a big deal. Um, our whole neighborhood was watching the game. My dad's a Yankee fan, so he's going nuts. Brian was a Yankee fan. He was going nuts. And I just remember being like, I don't really know what's going on, but something like is happening. Something big happened. And then obviously, I, I, me and my dad actually went to game four of the ALCS in Baltimore. Um, it's when we got the Daryl Strawberry foul ball that knocked my dad's lenses out of his glasses, hit him right in the face, hit right <laughs> in the glasses. Um, got the ball downstairs and everything. But like, like obviously, two or three years later, I'm, I'm, you know, a little bit older and I can understand it being like, oh my God, I can't, like that, all that happened. And that was, that was my most upsetting time as a sports fan i think because that orioles team was so good and it's like there's such a butterfly effect with that game it's like if the orioles win that series you know they they there's a legit chance they win that 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 world series jeter doesn't turn into this goddamn cult you know going the opposite way inside out in the playoffs like the whole narrative on the yankees changes and and you know, maybe the Orioles are the ones that that win four World Series in that uh, in the in the nineties, and and my life in general is just a lot. Different, I think um, it's 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 got to be Mayor for me though. It, it, it's, wow, I kind of thought you were going to go a different direction there. Yeah, same. Um, 
definitely thought this was going to get taken. I didn't know if it was going to go 1 1. Okay. This is an interesting draft because I know a lot of the things I think that Banks is considering. And I think that, like, the three things I'm considering, he could theoretically take two. So I have to take this pick. This is the most devastating sports moment for me in my life. And it's clear. It's there. It, this is a no doubter. No oh, doubter. This is it. the one one. This it's the Corey Lucia shot. Fuck. It's the Corey Lucia shot. The Corey Lucia Fuck. shot 2010 NCAA tournament second round Michigan. Oh, State you weren't even a student yet. Michigan oh, it was State the worst. Against, Michigan State against Maryland. Been a diehard Maryland fan my entire life. I was watching in my parents' family oh, room. Reliving this right my now. My senior mm-hmm. high school banks. You were at school, so a little bit of a different experience for you, I'm sure. Um, the really Maryland for a lot of the second oh. half, not really in the game, and then Gravis Vasquez just single-handedly. Oh my God! Builds them back into the game. Just some microcosm of him, his entire being, his entire career, makes his entire being tough makes an incredibly tough shot to put Maryland ahead. They go back down on defense. Draymond Green throws a cross-court pass that should have hit, I believe, Landon Milbourne in the head. It's either him or Cliff Tucker. I can't remember which guy it is. I can go back and watch. I watched replay a thousand times. For some reason, that's not, not cresting with me. Should have hit him. Should have hit him. Somehow, Five times out of ten, it hits him. It hits him. Goes across. Lucius makes the shot. There's the shot of Jordan Williams just devastated in the paint, just looking down as like the CBS vroom, vroom, like final. I, I just, it is just, it is horrible. I, it's the most upset I've ever been about anything. I like tossed, like tossed like a jar of queso that was in my parents' kitchen. I'm going to sound like an unhinged lunatic here. Like tossed a jar of queso. My brother caught it coming off of the island. Like a glass jar? Upstate glass jar, caught it. I walked upstairs. I walked upstairs, grabbed the shoe that was on the, on the, uh, this is maybe I shouldn't be telling this in a public forum, but grabbed the shoe threw it, broke a smoke detector on our, on our ceiling, then went into my room and grabbed my door and slammed it against the wall, uh, breaking into our wall uh, with the door. I, I, I was a li- unhinged, unhinged. I have a friend that threw his like threw a chair and broke glass in his family room. Different, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm rewatching just, it. I'm, we, I'm rewatching it right now. Awful. It is awful. It's, it is the first thing that came to mind when I thought I was getting Banks is dying. You wanted this so bad. It's so bad. It's just so bad. I'm not dying because I wanted it for the pick. I'm dying because I'm reliving that moment. It's That's hard. how freaking and, bad it was. Because that team meant so much to me. In Gravis Vasquez fashion, I've had the privilege to interview him twice. The second time I interviewed him for Hear the Turtle Art podcast for Maryland athletics he said it was his fault because he went too early on the possession before and gave them too much time i was like you're a lunatic i didn't say it that way but i was like are you kidding me the only reason they you we had any chance the only reason we had any chance was because you had willed us back into the game it was an amazing quote i i had goosebumps when he was saying it. he was like i shouldn't have gone that early i went too early i drove to the hoop too early i could have gotten that shot at any time i was like you're absolutely out of your mind the, the other thing that makes it devastating, and Banks, I, I think both of you guys know where I'm going here. Mm-hmm. If you go yeah. back and look at the path to the final four, Northern Iowa beats Kansas higher up in the bracket. The Terps had a clear, a clear shot. 
to get that team to the final four that year. Michigan State ended up making the final four. Um, it is just, it is, a, it is a true turning point in Maryland history. Because if Maryland wins that game, beats Northern Iowa, goes to the Elite Eight instead of losing in the second round after winning the AC regular season title, they've got to beat Tennessee a six seed. If they go to the Final Four, Gary Williams makes the Final Four. And who knows then how long he coaches because the leash gets way longer. Um, and who knows if, I mean, it was then Butler and then a Duke team that Maryland had beaten earlier in the season, won the national championship. It, <laughs> it's just, it's awful. Kansas lost the night before, right? It was it wasn't earlier that day. It was the night before. I can't, I can't remember the sequence with the. I can't remember. I I want to say this was a Sunday afternoon, and so I want to say they had lost. I want to say they yeah. I think they lost the night before because I remember thinking the same. I remember like unfolding my paper, being like, "This is yeah, oh my god!" Like this is. I think Sunday it was one of the earliest games on the Sunday slate, on the round of thirty-two. I was in my dorm at Carroll Hall. Like a bunch of us in the hallway were all piled into one room. And then our RA, who's this, you know, foreigner from from some African country who doesn't speak much English. Yeah, I don't know how to, like, how to, you know, he's <laughs> he's, he's a exchange student. That's sure. I was. I was hoping that's where it went, not another yeah. way. You're fine. You're fine. You're He's fine. our RA and, and and very nice guy who just kind of mind his P's and Q's and didn't socialize too much with anybody. Um, and, you know, he he was an RA. He he did his job and stuff. He comes when, – when Grievous starts popping off and then I think takes the lead, he comes sprinting down the hallway and into our room like nothing but his boxers just going crazy, just losing his mind over this sport that I don't even know he knows that much about um, <laughs> the energy behind this Maryland basketball team on that campus, that entire winter, that entire season was something I'll never forget in my life. That grievous senior night was something I'll never forget for the rest of my life. I was there as a high school senior. That is more like maybe my favorite sports team I've ever, cause it felt so personal. I mean, we even had multiple blizzards where, the stadium was basically shut down to the general public except for students. And we went and watched our Maryland basketball team play and blow out Virginia or UNC or maybe both of them. I can't remember which one it was. UNC was one of them. It was UNC. And like, it just felt like that, like we were part of that team. So I feel that that loss hits me in a very personal manner. Is an unexplainable force that happened on Maryland's campus over four years. I think. Yeah. and it peaked so beautifully Ray that season. Vasquez, there is, it, there is just, there are certain guys that connect with fan bases, and Gravis Vasquez is everything Maryland wants out of an athlete. Mm-hmm. He just is. It, he, <laughs> it, it uh, I just, I'll, I, the my, if I, all my memories go away by the time I'm on my deathbed, that will be the last one that sticks with me. <laughs> I, did, I just want to see Taylor like shimmying on his deathbed, like Gravis. God, <laughs> him. Just Corey, Lu- and you're just like, I, if you watch it again, when Draymond passes it, because he doesn't see, it's someone on Michigan State coming back down. It's a guy who inbounded the ball, and he throws it, and then I think sees him out of the corner of his eye. And he kind of does the like, oh no, like his hands kind of like. The come guy up. somehow ducks without looking. I don't know who it's, that it's is. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that the guy ducks and doesn't get hit yeah. because he's not looking at him. He's looking to. He's looking at Lucius, I think, on the right. It's unbelievable. And it is weird on the play. We're going way into this. Like, 
Landon Melbourne just gets also just gets randomly picked by that guy because he just happens to stay in the right place so he can't get over and challenge. And then Cliff Tucker has gone has like rotated up, not Cliff Tucker, sorry. Adrian Bowie maybe has like rotated up to like guard. I can't even tell who this is. I don't know why I can't tell who this is. Whatever has like rotated up to guard Draymond so he, he can't get over. Lucius like pops right, his like sidestep pops right to the right spot to make the shot. It's the Izzo thing where it's like everyone was in the perfect spot. It's just. It's awful. Next pick. We can talk about this play for 30 minutes. Yeah. The, the next pick is, is going to be the obvious and easy one. It's going to be, do I take both of them? Do I take, like, am I double dipping or are they going to be my two picks? Do you understand what I'm asking? Uh, uh, yeah, I kind of get what you're asking. Make the make the pick what you're gonna say, and we'll determine what what it is. We'll it's Lee Evans drop pass and Billy Condiff. Same game. It's fine. Same game. One That's moment. You're calling yep. it one moment. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, same game. Unless you same wanted game. it too. Yeah, unless you wanted it too. It was a double gut punch, but obviously the second one was like more of a gut punch. It's the same game. It's fine. Yeah. So it's just gonna be one pick. Yes. It's. I would call that the pick. I would call that the Cundiff game. That was what I would have picked had Corey Lucius gotten taken first. I don't want to talk about it, so that's it. All right, go ahead. We don't. We already did the Corey Lucius breakdown. We don't need to go into this one. Exactly. If we if we break all these down, it's gonna suck. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna Corey, take oh. <laughs> Corey Lucius. I'm gonna Corey. take one that's I think extremely forgotten, but sneaky. I mean, it's not quite as clear as to like the consequences of how it went down. The 2010 Ravens had a two-score lead on the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At halftime, Ray Rice fumbles early in the second half, and they make their comeback. And I think Antonio Brown catches a ball in his fucking head. That was the helmet catch. Yeah. Yeah. He ran Anyways, it for like 30 yards. The Ravens had an opportunity to drive down the field and tie that game, I believe. And. They fell into a fourth and 18 situation. And I kid you not, I think Joe Flacco threw the best pass of his entire fucking career. And it hit TJ Hushmanzada on like a 21 yard out. That would have just a perfect throw right on the sideline would have been a first down to extend the drive and keep the season alive. And he just fucking drops it. And I, and nobody talks about this play because of how 2011 went down and then we win the Super Bowl in 2012. But 2010, that team was fucking good too. The Steelers, I went on to the Super Bowl, I think, to did they lose to the Packers in that one? I think. I the think that's the one they the lost. To the, yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the Ravens and Steelers were the were easily the two best teams in the conference that year. And um, – TJ Hushmanzada just fucking dropped it. Nobody talks about that play. I, Joe Flacco could have gone to three straight Super Bowls. Fuck. Maybe I shouldn't have suggested this draft. Yeah, this is uh, you. This is all you. Yeah, I just – it felt right with the Colts, and I knew all of us could come up with examples for this, and it's relatable to the fan base, but this is hard to do. Uh, thank us for our service. Uh, uh, there's so many different directions I could go here. I'm taking the Encarnacion walk off in the AL in the AL. Yeah. 
I, I watched it the other day. Happy that anniversary ball the other day. Is absolutely <laughs> destroyed. And it's almost like Ubaldo <laughs> just grooves the pitch. Like it is such a bad just pitch. Put us out of our misery pitch. And you know exactly what you knew exactly what was gonna happen. Like that was the worst part about it. Like the whole thing is developing exactly how it's supposed to go. It ends Buck Showalter's time in Baltimore. Yeah, that, it did. It I don't think you that, can debate that. It ends that run of Orioles teams. I mean, it takes the soul out of that group of teams over that four or five year stretch. It was that was it. It was over. That game ended it. That yeah, there were so many moments in that game that Orioles escaped by the skin of their teeth. I think mm-hmm. uh, well, O'Day did an O'Day thing with a bases loaded situation. Then who was the other lefty? who was just a nobody lefty in that game came in and he also did the same thing um, where he had no business being in the game. And was he it Brian Dunsing? Brian That's Dunsing exactly who it was. 16 games or something. In a game. Yeah. 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 He got out of a jam too. And then just the entire idea of just Zach Britton, not pitching, not pitching, not pitching. And you knowing that he needs to pitch at some point, like, and then, of all people, you just see Ubaldo go in and you just Ubaldo know, you going just know in what's going to happen. Ubaldo going in the game might have been worse than the home run. It was, like it was also – I know, because it just felt inevitable. I just knew the game was over. And if, how quick he went, because I think it went, what, single walk or like walk, single home I think run. They, didn't they have player, runners in the corners? Yeah, so I think it was like – I think I've it was. I think the guy walked it, and then I think – Not once. I think Donald – I think it was Donaldson – had a single, so I think it was first and third. And then they it was home run. It was like it went by in like 13 seconds. It was like boom, walk, single, boom, gone. Rushed. I mean, and, that ball might still be in the air. I mean, it is. <laughs> I tweeted it too. Ain't gonna see a bat flips. I mean, the whole thing is just like. Oh the, the best is Matt Weeders, who just fucking. It's so dips, good. It's dips, so good. Doesn't I, even look. Just go. So when I watched it, I watched the replay in the office the other day, and I like went up to somebody and I was like, "Watch Matt Weeders just like turn away." And absolute pain <laughs> and there. and I went to so turns around to kind of watch it, like, "Ooh, maybe I don't know. I think got it off the handle." I, I, wish, he'd st- I wish he'd stuck his finger out. <laughs> yeah, if he did the hands over elbows, <laughs> points up. <laughs> yeah, that's my pick. Okay, uh, I respect it. You have two RDT. I am gonna go. Man, I have. All right, I'll go. I'll go the. Yeah, I'll go. Can I go the entire 2014 ALCS? Just like death by bloops. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you can take Cause, it. Because yeah. again, there was. It, it like, does. I was gonna just take game one where suddenly Zach Britton couldn't throw a strike and they had yes. just like a broken bat, three run double. Yeah, but and it is like a weird series. It's heartbreaking where you don't really refer to any one specific game you just are like how did that happen in that fashion it was like someone killing you by just ripping out every single one of your hairs individually yeah like it was yeah like again the slow slow death the game one was disgustingly horrible to watch um i think i went yeah game two i was there and again same thing like bloop into right bloop into right bloop into left like lay down a bunch gerard dyson gets on like remember adam jones hit the home run in game yeah get him back and it was like all right here we go and then the next inning was like bloop bloop home run or something like that. Just like, yeah. just fucking miserable. It's a home run off of a day, right? I know, two. I know, no, I know. In game one, he gave up the home run in extra innings. Oh, maybe it was game one. Yeah, and then one. yeah, because that was the one. The other that was the one at night, and and I think mm. it was Alex Gordon who launched it onto the 
to the uh, to the flag court. Um, it was it was just a god awful because he had like I remember after the Tiger series being like, holy shit, the Orioles are going to the World Series. Like they're not losing to this Royals team. There's no way yeah. they're losing to this Royals team, especially as the home team as well. Yeah, it was like, oh my god, we're like, hosting was, the ALCS. It was crazy. Yeah, like oh my god, what we're planning on. They just they they murdered Max Scherzer in Game One. I, everyone knows about game two game three. They pulled that out of their ass with the Nelson Cruz home run yeah. to like the literal, the base of the, the foul pole in right field and tie in, in Detroit. And then Buck does the thing where he puts the, the, the go ahead, the winning run on base in the clinching in, in the game three and sets up that ground roll double that ground or that the double play. And you're like, Holy shit, everything is, everything is going away. This is, this is going to happen. And they did, obviously didn't even win a game, not even like, and the fact was, it was like three to two, four to two, three to one. Like every game was close. Every game was, was within reaching distance. And they just, they couldn't do anything. Death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> we'll tell you. Um, that's so yeah. 20, 2014 ALCS. Okay. Uh, my next pick, Maryland Duke final four. Oh, one. Oh, horrible. Again, I, I'm that was very my, high on my board. That was my um, I'm like getting very at seventh grade or sixth grade. I think I'm like very into basketball and Maryland and like such a fun, likable team. And I don't think I watched the second half. I think I like went to bed because it was a late game. And I think I went to bed after the first half, like up they're up 11. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to they're going to the championship. This is awesome. And then like waking up being like, what what happened? My dad just being like. They just lost it. They just I, I was at a travel baseball tournament down in Southern Maryland, and we had just we gotten tons of Lido pizza in the lobby to watch this game. And I ate more more Lidos than I probably have in my entire life. I was 10 years old at the time. I ate more that night than I probably still have in a given night of Lido pizza the whole, in the in the first half. I having the time of my life just slamming pie. And then the stomach ache in the second half was such a perfect pairing with the way the game turned. Do you remember what they were outscored in the second half? It's like the Duke scored like 57 points. 57, 35. Like not even close. Yeah. Like unbelievable. Yeah, screwed. Yeah. I mean, it was, and like I looked at the box score earlier tonight. Turf Trump 22. They looked unbelievable in the first half. Like they looked like the best team of all time. They were like 39 17 or something like that. And this is when you're like, holy shit, they're going to roll. They're going to the finals. Who was it? Arizona. Was it Arizona? I think Arizona Duke beat Arizona in the finals. Yep. Yeah. That was, that was, and again, that was like, oh my God, I can't believe. Like, really, incredible four game stretch. Um, which uh, includes my next pick, which is the uh, the Miracle Minute. That's that's your your next pick. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I mean, did we yeah. talk about that as as what Twitter ninety to like eighty with fifty four seconds remaining? Horrible. That's the that's the formative worst sports moment in my life. Is that game? Is that that is, yours? Is Jeffrey Mayer? Mine is mine is the Miracle Minute. It it uh, it's inconceivable that that happened. It's the first very vivid, strong Maryland basketball memory for me. I think yeah. so too. And even now, when you watch, you're dev- like, "There's no way. There's no way that they can do this." Ridiculous. No and it's at cold. It's at home. It's not like it happened to Cameron. It's insane. It's insane. The Terps then actually went to Cameron and beat Duke on senior night. Did they beat it? Did they beat him bad? Like they beat Batty? Uh they won by like eleven or something. Okay. 
Absolutely. Then they played in the they played in the AC semifinals. There's actually the Washington Post did like a 12 minute documentary on the early 2000s Maryland Duke. That's oh, really good. And like all they had like Juan Dixon interview and stuff. Yeah, Miracle Minute. I don't need to say too much about that. Everyone no. knows. Everyone around this area knows Miracle Minute. Uh, Bank Ship too. Um, I'm just I'm just gonna say a name. I'm just gonna say Raul Banyas. I don't think there's anything else to say. Good pick. Good pick. That's that's just the pick there. It's just so the pick. Yep. Um, I'm gonna throw you a little bit of bone here with this one, Eric. I'm gonna take the Gary Anderson field goal in 2003. That old fart kicking a 46 yarder. Was that game though? Like, I mean, I I know it sucks to lose that way, but like, like, cause that team was—it's not like that team is going to win a Super Bowl or anything. No, but um, Just it was still in an era that had guys where your defense like could give you a chance in any given game. Yeah, and we had Jamal Lewis was was a two thousand yard rusher that year. So, and that was actually. My, my dad never took me to a Ravens game until that game. It was the first Ravens. That was game. your first game. Yeah. And I was sitting pretty much even with the goalpost on the side that the kick was made where I could see the ball just barely clear that crossbar on a 46 yards, 46 yards, 46 yards. He barely cleared the crossbar. God, like I'll never get that, that image of him. Like he, he reminds me of the lollipop kids. Like when he runs and he does like a little, like fist pump up in the air with this fucking one, one bar gray face. Eddie George and McNair jogging down the tunnel right in front of us. Just, whooping it up it's tough yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a game if you go back and watch that like todd heap man yeah. todd heap was, that, catch. that was his unreal peak catch moment. yeah that's when he earned his ravens pinstripe yeah mm. what a way to put it <laughs> that the look on taylor's face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are two good picks oh uh, there's a lot of different ways i could go here there's a couple that i know you guys are going to take um Oh, man. Go ahead. Take take like Maryland soccer PKs in the national <laughs> no, championship. No, that's actually – I do have some things that involve Maryland soccer. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to take them. Because that was a thing with Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame where – that sea um, stone for Notre that. Dame with Patrick Mullins. They should have had – it should have been a red card up a man with a PK of a goal, and they lost 2-1. to one. Yeah. Is there a darts thing? Then the year before that, they played Georgetown, lost some PKs. Fucking hell, they like man kicks it right into the keeper. 5-4. to four. Yeah, yeah. There's some Maryland soccer shit in there. But I'm not going to take that. I am going to take a soccer thing. U.S. missing the, the World Cup was for me. Which the time? 2018 World, Cup, 2018 World Cup was not for you guys. This does not matter to you guys. So I knew you guys were going to take this, but I have to take it. I was devastated. Legitimately, that there's a, the famous Taylor Twelman, what are we doing rant, which I think now gets like a lot of play Maryland guy. Uh. I love the World Cup, and I love the U.S. men's national team, partly because I've grown up to love soccer. There's been Maryland guys always involved. And I'm just a bit, you know, I'm a big country guy, as a, you know, big USA guy. I, 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 going to Trinidad and losing to Trinidad, it, all, the way all that went, is such a failure, such a fucking failure. And if that happens again, I am this, that, if this happens this time, it won't. Praise to the heavens. But like if it did, it would probably maybe be like third on my list. I, this cannot continue to happen. We have to make the World Cup. I love the World Cup. I love the U.S. playing in the World Cup. I love how everyone gets behind me and they don't care about soccer. Oh, 
U.S. missing the 2018 World Cup. So, Eric. Um, the Super Bowl 34. And then my next pick is 2000 Divisional Round. And it's your pick again. Okay. <laughs> I was kind of expecting the, enti- get those out. <laughs> the entire draft to go like that. Like just saying something, not even like, yeah, that's it. Just, all right. All we right. had to go to the Corey we, Lucia we, We've never we, talked about the Corey Lucia shot on the show. Because we to, shouldn't talk about it. It had to get 10 minutes of breakdown. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it deserved it. It's so, I think that might be the most collectively devastating moment for the three of us. It's either that or one of the Orioles things. I think it's the Corey Lucius one now. Yeah. I, if we had to pick yeah. as a group. There's not one of the Ravens ones for you. So, um, <laughs> I was going to pick the Maryland soccer, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just took that away from you, didn't I? You kind of did. Uh, <laughs> 2015 uh, Super Regionals, Maryland, Virginia walk-off. Horrible. Oh. It, was it was horrible. It was horrible. Walked on, walked on the field. Kevin Mooney. Oh, my oh. God. I was sick oh. for him. Oh. I mean, oh. I saw him. Sick for him. Sick for him. Saw him behind Both the stadium. Guys. That guy pitches balls off all year. All year. Maryland, Maryland all-time save leader. That's where I – I mean, you say the same thing about, like, Jim Johnson, just because he – Yeah. He pitches balls off all year, and then, of course, that happens to him. I Which, will – I was shock on that Virginia team too. No, Who? no shock. It's a joke. It's because he's old. No, a lot of big leaguers from both teams. Mm-hmm. We have Lamont Wade, Brandon Lau, Kevin Smith, Mike Schworn. Who all made the bigs, and then that Virginia team. There's some guys that are going to escape me, but like Derek, Derek the Fisher, Aisley's in the big leagues. So th- that was a very. Those were two very good games too. Um, oh, such good I games! Just never forget stand, and obviously 2014. I was just there. I worked in the team 2015. I will never forget standing on the field and watching the UVA guys run around the and slap everyone's hands in the outfield. I, it, uh, uh, it it's was an unbelievable hard. environment. Watching it was an incredible environment. Watching our guys just be so upset. That's more of a personal thing because I was I was there and involved. It was it was an awesome experience, all things considered, though. Just experience regional baseball. College baseball is amazing. It really is. And we, you and I are big champions. We talk about with this when this comes up in the tournament every year. When those places, those like 7,000 seat stadiums are electric, they're electric. Like it is so intimate and it's so different. It's a different brand of baseball. It's, it's fun, man. But yeah, it was horrible. Finish this off. Um, so I'm just going to take um, when the Ravens had to give up the Flying B logo. That was very devastating for me. That logo is fucking sweet. I meant to the ask. The guy you- Frederick Bouchot or whatever his name is. I don't know. What was he, a janitor? I forget the exact story. I, yeah. I meant to ask Jake that that his or ask him if if he had any plan like future plans for another one and was going to suggest that one like a like a the deep story dive. behind that yeah like a deep dive I know stuff has been done but like I think like something recent would have been would, would be neat yeah I think at this point like the NFL is making so much money hand over fist not that they weren't before but like why don't they throw this guy the bag even mm-hmm. if only to just throw throw the retro helmet in the mix now now that they can do the multiple helmets and all that yep i mean everybody knows that logo is fucking sweet man 
I mean, who knows? I mean, the, the trajectory of the franchise, who, who knows where we're at if we had the flying B. Well, that I think was a good draft and a very sad draft. So maybe not my best suggestion, but, you know. Uh, my honorable mentions were uh, Maryland, Ohio State, uh, 2018. November 17th, 2018. That's the day Joe was born, and I Could've... flew back ju- in the hospital. That's right. That's I right. Flew that's back right. just in time to see the two-point That's convert. right. Jay Sean Jones and, and, and uh, Pitt, no, miscommunication. I ended up watching Pitt Wake Forest instead. Maryland, Florida, and the Orange Bowl, which was never close, but as a young fan, I didn't realize that Florida True. was a touchdown. I had that. Two touchdown favorite, even though their backup quarterback Brock Bowen was playing over Rex Grossman, and they still absolutely waxed the Terps. That was a tough one for me to take. When they went up fourteen nothing, I started crying as a kid. I, th- I think I got emotionally upset at that too. Being yeah, like, yeah, I just when you're when you're that young, you don't realize that like oh, like Maryland's been so good all year. Oh wait, this Florida team is like maybe on a little bit of a different level. Like they were like fourteen and a half point under, uh, underdogs to the Terps. Spurrier's last game too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, this was actually one I was really close to taking. I actually thought. Either of you guys could have taken this. Uh, the USA Canada hockey game in 2010 with the Sydney Crosby overtime goal was brutal. That was fucking brutal. Yeah, was- we we weren't supposed to be there. All things considered, but that was though. an amazing game. Like it, it was, was incredible game. And it you were really like, was. oh, this is like a team of destiny situation. They're gonna like go into Canada and make this run. And it was fucking Crosby. It was just that was an amazing. That was an amazing game. And I was I just remember being very upset when he when that happened. I tried to go down the road of picking out a specific Caps memory, and there's just so many just stupid overtime game-winning series losing goals that they gave up that I, I can't, like, pick one. Do you want to know what the exact words I have written down? The Quote, Caps and the caps pre-cup. Quote, take your pick 2010 first round versus Canadians, 2013 versus Rangers, 2015 versus Rangers second round. Literally quote and end quote. Yeah, I wrote one down too. Just when the Capitals sold everybody in the early OOs, especially Bondra, mm-hmm. when they just fucking mm-hmm. sold the farm midseason. Yeah, that there's broke some, my heart. some like trades and stuff that I didn't really go into, but you could. That was right at that age where I mean I was very attached. Peter Bondra is my favorite athlete, and when they traded him away, I was maybe not old enough to really like understand. fully understand what they were doing, why they were doing it, and obviously in the long run, you know. We did try to reload with Yager and everything. Uh, no, actually, Yager was part of that sell-off. But um, it yielded us Ovechkin. So, like, you know, you come to understand. I also had the uh, the Chris Davis retirement was on my list. Um, I think that was, was very tragic and traumatic for everybody. But um, I think we're going to get through it. Um. I had, yes, I had the two Maryland soccer college cups in 2012 and 2013. We already discussed that briefly. Yeah. Okay. One of those teams should have won the national title. The Tyler, Tyler Boyd moment. Um, the Christmas game against the Steelers. Yep. Uh, these two things happened in the same month, my first month and a half at University of Maryland as a freshman. And I had to watch both these happen at fucking Applebee's because <laughs> – the TV network on campus was was the DC networks, and we got the football team games and not the Ravens games. I had to watch Mark Clayton drop a fucking perfect pass from Joe Flacco I used to eight home. yard line against New England to lose that fucking game. And then I I want to say it was two weeks later. I watched 
Joe Flacco and Ray Rice make magic the entire second half to take the lead against the Vikings. Then Brett Favre drives down the field, takes the lead back, and then Joe Flacco drives down the field again, and Stephen Hauschka misses a field goal in Minnesota. That team was three and three, and they should have been five and one. Mm. Anything else from you? Uh, just the fact I had to watch those in Applebee's. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> Guess we're not getting an Applebee's sponsorship. Um, uh, go ahead, Eric. I had ALDS game five. Nate hit the foul pole. Uh, yeah, I had McLeod as well. Yeah, and I had. Oh, you keep going. You probably have what I'm about to say. Uh, I'll let you say it. I, no, I had I had that. I had the Caps. Uh, day Steve McNair died. Um, the mm. day that the Titans drafted Jake Locker first round eight <laughs> in 2011 to the end, uh, 2002 orange bowl. I think, yeah, that's, that, that's all I had. I don't, I don't know. What uh, the Orioles one. It was Rangers 30, 30 to three. I, I don't, that didn't upset me. That was, I don't know if I've told it on here. That yeah, was my very funny. first day at McDaniel, my freshman year of college and like did all the or- orientation and stuff. And like, I remember getting back to our dorm, like after dinner and my dad calls me and he's like, the Orioles lost by 30 tonight. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they probably lost like 10 to two or something. And he's like, no, they legitimate. Cause again, like I had Facebook, but I didn't have it on my phone. I didn't have like, and he's like, no, they legitimately lost 30 to three. And I was like, no, they didn't like, <laughs> no, they didn't. It doesn't happen. And then like going, running to the common room. Cause I didn't have my TV set up yet and being like, oh my God, he like, yeah, they lost thirty to three. Like I, I, like I wasn't upset. It was more just like, how does this happen? Like this is that's hilarious. It was just funny. Yeah. Well, when the arena arena football league folded, that was a tough one. That was a tough one. Yeah, I, I, I was at the. I was guaranteed the Baltimore Brigade would win the freaking arena bowl, and I went to the arena bowl, and the DC team won. Great. Um, <laughs> Combined two wins. What a joke. Four wins. Uh, yeah. Uh, I had two quick ones, and then we'll move on. Nick Kinder Medley, uh, U.S. losing to Ghana in the 2010 World Cup, and uh, Michaela Maroney losing the individual vault final in 2000. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Couldn't believe it. Told everyone. I told everyone I knew. I was so in on Michaela Maroney. <laughs> I was so in. I was like, she's the best vaulter of all time. Fucking foul. Unbelievable. Not impressed face. She's making her money now. She's in Geico commercials. Good for her. Um, I, I'll throw in like the Browns lost two two years ago to when they fell to two and two in 2019. I don't know why I, that game left me in such a rage leaving M and T Bank. I remember talking you off the ledge on the Jimmy Smith foot injury. <laughs> like, remember he had that bad foot injury it was after the year. Yeah. yeah. Cause I remember you telling like I remember we were both very upset about Manny's second knee. And we were just oh, like, we tough. were texting back and forth, like, what if, what if, what if he turns into a what if? Like, what if he's, what if he's just never the player we think of? Oh, damn. And then it was like, it was like two months later, I think, was the the Jimmy Smith. Sorry, last one. Uh, Tremont Waters taking sixteen steps to. Yeah, uh, that too. Uh, yeah, thanks. Call a travel. Um, <laughs> Nick Cannon Medley, Maryland Man of the Week. Uh, Nick Cannon Medley actually involved in a in a in a. Um, in the uh, as a freshman, when the Steve Blake senior year, that was a, a devastating tournament game lost Michigan State too. Michigan State, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I think uh, Steve Blake maybe D- David Weston Xavier he got uh, blocked by the rim. On yeah, game. unbelievable. God, Maryland. Oh, Maryland's so snake bitten in so many ways. Kelly Olenek third quarter 
three. Oh, I didn't ago. even think about the Wizards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, I, I, I almost said like Gilbert's knee injury. Yeah, like, Gilbert's knee injury was awful. Uh, you just knew it was over. Yeah, oh, man, those teams are John so Wall fun. getting hurt. Maybe Kelly we, fucking Olenek of all people. We have to do like a like a yeah. starting five of like Wizards moments. We really should. I'm, no one will listen to the show. I want the first yeah. pick so bad. <laughs> no. no one will listen to the show. Uh, good and bad, by the way, because the John Wall Dougie in his first introduction is one of the best words. Uh, not if you ask Skip Bayless. Skip. He's a joke. Uh, Nick Cade, Medley, Maryland person of the week. I forgot about the Wizards in this entire list. <laughs> Their existence is the devastation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I was so upset when they drafted Jan Vesely. What a joke! I mean, that was the most obvious bad pick of all time. Um, real ah. quick, real quick, I just want to say TJ McFarlane is pitching in in oh my game right now. Um, Nick Kinder Medley, Eric. Uh, I have I just have sports. Like we're getting to that point in the year where we're gonna have NBA, NHL, NFL, MLB, college football. College basketball starting. It, it's just everything is going on, and it's going to be like I think like tomorrow is sports day. Today's sports day Thursday, it, with a MLB playoff game at four, an MLB playoff game at eight. Right into Ram Seahawks is like uh, that's it's Chef's kiss. Perfect. Tremendous. Tremendous. Very, very good. All the all the things going on right now. Um, I'm gonna go next. Uh, two friends. Big booty mix. October sixteenth. Officially announced. Tickets on sale. Big booty mix. 20. I gotta DM them. I'm probably too short notice to get them on. Like we're no, supposed DM to last them, time. DM them. DM I will. I will. DM them. We're trying to get them on. We're what trying to two the, friends. The Come battle. on. They retweeted me the other day. The battle. The battle. But the war. We are going the to war, battle with uh, booty mix. RDT's daughter can't stop listening to Big Booty Mix. That's how you know it's good. All ages. Obsessed. Every morning going to daycare. Roses comes on. She goes, what's this song? I said, Roses. Have you ever played Roses for her? Yeah, she doesn't like it. She likes the big booty. <laughs> oh! Like, she'll get that. Oh. She'll get She's young. She's young. Big boy's verse? She knows oh. She knows sweet dreams because of that. She knows but every every other song now. She goes, is this buzzing? Buzzing? I said, no, you know it's but You know buzzing. You know sweet dreams. She loves the Drake part when the owls pop up. It's she has me on my toes. What about the other volumes? I've tried. She only wants to listen to 19. (laughs) And like, it's funny. You have a real problem on your hands. We've planned it out. Well, like, it takes me 12 minutes to drive from my house to daycare. So it ends right as the Drake part um, comes on. And so we have to wait in the car if I get there like at 1145. We have to wait till after the Drake part with the Alice comes on. And then that's that's when I say, all right, we're going in. So it's. She'll dance around for the entire thing. And she loves the intro she likes. And, and she used to only watch the intro and then the outro. They'll like, cause I'll say welcome. And she goes to big booty land. And then she goes, let, uh, let us open the gates. And like, she's, mm. she, she's a part of big booty. Too, when, she, gets it. when she tells my in-laws, I say, what's your favorite song? And she says, big booty. And I'm like, great. <laughs> this is, they don't know. They're not big two friends fans, you know, but. This really is incredible to see TJ McFarlane against Albert Pujols, Albert Pujols. in this moment. Yeah. This is incredible. Arguably one of the greatest at bats in MLB postseason. Also, if Pujols hits a home run here against the Cardinals, it's that's an oh all-time Oh my line. god! Well, so, you don't thanks. spoil. Um, 
I, I kind of expected you to take this, Eric, but your sports pick was was a, was a great one. It's really hard to deny that. But I'm taking John Sterling uh, for the Stantonian <laughs> call of the year. It's the best sports announcer gaff since the Tom Brenneman, which is still a goat, but um, <laughs> it could not have just played out better. This and just especially the moment. And for him to call it Stantonian, I, I've been laughing at it all day. It's it just gets it just makes me smile every time. Everyone I hate Diego so calling, freaking much. Everyone thinks he was not at the stadium. He was at the stadium. I know. When I retweeted it originally, I said like, "We got to get these guys in the stadium." Blah blah blah. And then the video of them being like, "We're here." Blah blah blah. And it was like I checked fourteen times to make sure that it was like, "Oh my god, this is true." Like they're there. This is tonight. I mean, the best part is the, what did I do wrong? And like, <laughs> it's, it's so fucking funny. It's tough night for Andy. I, I didn't, I didn't know if I thought it was funnier than, than Pujols other people a, at first. Pujols a big guy right now. Pujols a big boy right now. Um, but I didn't know. I was like, maybe I'm just thinking this is funnier than it really is. Like, maybe it's not that funny. Cause like even Matt Vaskersian called it on the, on the game. He goes, he got another one. And I'm like, oh, okay, that, that was kind of funny. And then, like, the Sterling call just, I mean, took it above and beyond. So, it's I, – I literally – I picked up the phone and I called my dad. And I said, you got to hear this call. I said, you got to hear this. There, There's always a couple days a year that were just special, just like the best day of the year for me. And maybe this says something about me as a sports fan. Uh, the day the Yankees get eliminated, the day Duke basketball gets eliminated – and I'm not sure that it hits the same, but when it hits with that kind of a moment involved, it, it, you start to feel that way again. I, I was thinking earlier today, like, like, what are some of the other teams? And I thought, like, when the Patriots would, like, when Brady would lose in the playoffs, the, like, the memes that would come out were, were great. And, like, I'm with you. I always remember, like, when Duke losing – being like it could be on the it would be on the first day and it'd be like you know what fuck my bracket don't even care like yeah give me Mercer. Lehigh, Come let's on, go Mercer. love you like let's do this yeah Vaskersion was so bad last night like that 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 was such a bad broadcast last night that he's and on apparently he's uh, done he's done with done he said he was done How, Michael K is being considered as one of the replacements mm, he stinks too it's yeah. like Michael K Ravich Boog Shambi. Uh, oh my god, all of ESPN's baseball people essentially listed Benetti, Michael K. Would be give me, there. give me Kirkchen in a solo booth. Just like. they want to bring back A Rod, apparently, which he was getting skewered last night, too. What do you say? You got to punch the, 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 yeah, the bully offense. I mean, he, he, I mean, he was just out of his mind. And I like A Rod in the uh, apparently, she's not good in the booth, he's good in the studio. Uh, any honorable mentions? Um, I'll throw the NHL and ESPN theme song just because they're starting to run commercials for it and it just yeah, warms my heart. TNT's doing their promoting. They were promoting that stuff tonight on TBS. Yeah, they're doing like a did like a media day with with Gretzky and Biz and all that on you know in the studio and all that. So it's cool. Hockey's coming back. It starts Are opening nights on Wednesday. Yeah, shit. Fantasy basketball's coming back too. True. Look out. I think yeah, ESPN. Big board man B. We'll see if we'll see if I check my team this year. <laughs> yeah. Tough scene. Uh yeah. Yeah. Big board man B. 
Uh, tough start for the big B. But big board man B. Big board man B is coming on to save Black's fantasy fantasy seasons here. It's a basketball uh, school, Taylor. It, well, yes. Um, one thing I want to one my one honorable mention: big boxing. Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder, three. If you're a person who likes to buy pay per views, that's a couple of big boys wailing on each other. This that weekend. is very true. I see ESPN two's running those uh, those previous fights tonight. That should be fun. That should be fun. Deontay Wilder has disgusting power, and Tyson Fury is way too athletic for a guy that looks like him. I think that part of where boxing has kind of fallen off is that the heavyweight class just doesn't have a lot of. There's no just, names. There's apart. not a lot of gas to it anymore. It's just Tyson doesn't... Fury is not a guy that has broken through total in the U.S., but with his personality, he is an incredibly interesting figure. He's yeah, like, the Klitschko's kind of dominated for a while, and they weren't very. Yeah, they took the gas out of it. There's yeah. also Wilder has for some reason not broken through as like an American, even though he was an American heavyweight champion. There's also Anthony Joshua. There's actually a lot of interesting things in the heavyweight division right now, but I think it got so far gone that it just. Yeah, America needs to be a really, I don't know, fascinating. The UFC heavyweight division almost took over for it with Lesnar and Randy Couture and now Stipe and Ngannou and Cormier before and those guys. So, Uh, but yeah, if you like combat sports, Saturday is going to be a big night. Going to be a very, very big night. TJ McFarlane is going to be an honorable mention if he gets another out here. I can't believe he's still. We'll see if we'll see if the pot we'll see if the pod doesn't end here because we've we've come to the end here. So I think the pod is going to end before you can see. I, unless I say the outro really really slow. Here. Cody Bellinger stinks, so I, you would think he's going to get it now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got well, a wager point. with somebody already. Uh, he has to hit, I think, thirty home runs and hit two ninety five next year for me to lose. So I'm. I mean, I, I can cash that already. Don't like Cody Bell. Free, a free round of golf on my guy, Crosby. So, wow. There you have it. Um, that's it. This week's episode of the XV2 podcast. Thanks to Jake Luke for jumping on with us, talking a little Colts, talking a little Ravens. Um, can't wait. We'll, ha- we'll be back. Instant analysis after Monday night's game. Uh, there will be one. There may be week. another ramp one. I'm not sure. Mm-mm. Oh, boy. We're going to need to figure out your. I audience. may get Jimbo in the mix on that. We'll see. Mm. All right. We You're may gone. not even need Taylor and I then. It could just be you two just going spitting, spitting back and forth. Yeah. 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 We'll figure it out. There's going to be an instant analysis because we're all going to be around. We're all going to be around Monday night. Um, as the Ravens take on the Colts on Monday Night Football, don't even do the announcer guest because everyone knows who it's going to be. Um, make sure to and, – and we do realize that the Orioles season ended. Oh. We do realize that. We will talk about the Orioles going into the offseason at some point here, but there was a lot of – We will. Up. Fucking cop out for the Mannings to take a week off when the Colts are going to get rolled by the Ravens here for mm. Peyton not to have to talk about his Colts. Yeah, interesting. Mm. They were supposed to. They were. They were like already scheduled off. Yeah, I'm sure. I know because <laughs> they didn't do this week. They didn't do this week. I know. Week. Likely story. You think? You think uh, Eli didn't want to talk about uh, refusing to play for the Chargers? That's what I was hoping. That's for. what I was thinking. Yeah. People forget that. That's a good broadcast, though. I will say, fuck John you know, Elway. By the way, uh, I actually don't mind ESPN's. I actually don't mind the crew now on Monday Night Football. Levy and Riddick and nah. they're, they're fine. I like Riddick. They're I think fine. he's good. You don't like Steve Levy? I love Steve you Levy, but not as the Monday Night Football. 
You want to yeah, make NHL? You want Dennis he, Miller back? He did a phenomenal job. Uh, you like him on three thirty college with, football with the team? ringer. Yeah. Oh, Cody Bellinger walks. Exit two podcast Twitter and Instagram at e d i t t i twenty two on Twitter for R D T Barstool Banks where you can find Banks on Twitter. Follow me at Taylor Smite ten. Make sure to support all of our partners: Fed Thrill, Thread Level Midnight, um, and Jimmy Seafood. We'll see you next time on the XMV2 podcast, presented by Jimmy Seafood. Yeah.